We've always had it. We give it to kids. It's in cartoon characters on cereal boxes. I've sort of equated this to the, the opium trade. You know, historically, this is some massive, massive enterprise that's harming a lot of people, but it's making just fortunes for you know, a lot of people. But this is a drug. We need to understand it's a drug. It affects us mentally and physically in very negative ways. And we're putting this in everything. You know, the sugar companies, I believe, know for a fact that this stuff is addictive and this stuff is causing harm. People like Callie Means, who's a sort of whistleblower for the food and drug companies, says that they know that this causes metabolic ill health, that this causes damage and it's addictive. And, you know, more than almost a billion people worldwide now have a diagnosable mental health condition of some kind, meaning that the condition is so severe that it interferes with a person's ability to function. All of the people that are kind of flying under the radar, meaning their mental health isn't great, but it doesn't, you know, it's not severe enough for them to qualify for an official diagnosis. And, you know, the adults across, say, the United States, for example, one in four have a diagnosable mental health disorder. And now uh, people between the ages of 18 and 25 are young people. It's one in three. And then in my work in college mental health for, you know, for about 12 years, I worked in college mental health at Harvard University and then at Smith College here in Massachusetts. But I'm also trying to continuously improve. So my message to everybody, what are you not doing well in life and what can you now then focus on for 2024? And then when you finish 2024 and you've mastered that one thing, rather sleep stress, or whatever, what else can you work on? And if you heal your body that way, then it'll be much easier if you face cancer to deal with it. It'll be much easier. So I want you to not think of one thing, think of all the things you can do. And if you do that, I think that your mental health will be where it needs to be. Amen to that. Awesome. Carrie here for the Carnivore Diet Movie. And thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this carnivore diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get it on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. And once you're there, you can sign up for free to our email newsletter. And once a week, we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes. Uh, we'll tell you about new meetups. We'll give you special invites and things like that. Completely free. Sign up there. The other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size Redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder. People have been loving these. We offered them on our 24-hour live stream. You can purchase these right on the website. And every proceed, every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary. And the other thing we have there are the water bottles, and the cutting boards. They're completely customizable and you can engrave them. Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. Hello and welcome. Carrie here from Healing Humanity, The Power of a Proper Human Diet. Welcome to our live stream. Uh, today, we're going to explore the crucial link between nutrition and mental health. Uh, I'm Carrie, along here with my co-host, Adam, and joined by our experts, uh, Dr. Georgia Ede. We've got Dr. Tony Hampton, who's just uh, 
fixing something on his computer. And hopefully Dr. Anthony Chafee will be joining us as well. Our goal tonight is to help provide hope for the hopeless while highlighting Dr. Eads' powerful book, Change Your Diet, Change Your Mind. I just got my copy today. I was so excited it came in the mail. Um, I already read the book before. Dr. Eads provided me a, a copy of it before. Um, I, I love the book. I absolutely love the book. As someone that suffered from depression and mental health issues, I always show people this. These are all my medications. Most of them were for depression and anxiety for years and years and years. Those really never helped me. And um, if I had something like this, this has the answers that I was searching for most of my adult life. So I'm, I'm fired up about the book. I'm excited about the book. There's so many people out there uh, who, are, who are hopeless. Let's see, I think we got, there he is. Hey, Dr. Tony, how's it going? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, good. Wonderful, Hi. welcome. Good to see you guys and happy to be here, man. This is uh, spreading the message is what we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I was just going through um, what to expect. So in our first hour, we have expert insights from Dr. Georgia Ede, Dr. Tony Hampton, and Dr. Anthony Chafee. Uh, he's joining us as long as he didn't get pulled into surgery this morning, so I'm hoping he'll be jumping on here. That's in the first hour. In the second hour, we have several uh, personal stories from individuals. I think we have six or seven of them um, who have changed their diet changed their mind and are seeing remarkable results after changing um, their after their dietary changes. So that's an hour two. And then hour three is audience Q&A. So everyone that's on right now, if you have a question, please post it in the sidebar with a QQQ. And additionally, if you have a testimony, if you changed your diet and it changed your mind, share that testimony. And we love hearing those as well. Um, so if we could, maybe... Uh, We'll start out with, I guess first I just want to say I'm so thankful, grateful, blessed, Dr. Tony Hampton, Dr. Georgia Ede, Dr. Anthony Chafee, all you experts, I really appreciate it. Um, if we could maybe, uh, Dr. Ede, could we start out, maybe if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background? Uh, sure. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's great to see so many people. And I, I'm looking at the comments here and seeing people. It's fantastic how much interest there is in this topic. So thank you uh, for helping us spread the hope. Uh, so, and, and great to see you, Dr. Tony, and, and to meet you, Adam, and to see you again, Carrie. So uh, I'm, uh, my name is Georgia Ede. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm based in Massachusetts in the United States, and been practicing psychiatry for about 25 years. And for the last 15 years or so, have been uh, using uh, more and more nutrition principles in my practice. And now for many years now, it's been largely uh, nutrition-based and ketogenic diets, carnivore diets, paleo diets, elimination diets, uh, using those instead of medication or in addition to medication uh, to help people with a wide variety of psychiatric conditions. I'm a general adult psychiatrist, so I treat people with every kind of condition. I'm not a specialist, although I did specialize in college mental health for a long time. Uh, so I have special expertise in that, but but basically I'm now consider myself a nutritional and metabolic psychiatrist. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Reed. So next we have Dr. Tony Hampton. I just wanted to say first, thank you, Dr. Hampton, for introducing me to Dr. Ede. We wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for that introduction. So really appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Hampton, could you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. And having uh, had you on the uh, podcast, um, I 
had heard so much of your story about mental health. And I said, well, who else, you know, uh, would uh, be nice to have on the team. So I'm really excited that she's uh, helping to spread this message and, and using this platform as well. You know, I'm actually, uh, I've been practicing, uh, believe it or not, for probably 28 years as a family doc. Uh, I've been um, transitioning from the management model of disease to one where Dr. E suggested, where we're kind of metabolic docs. And I did that by learning about uh, obesity when I became board certified. And then when I got a master's in nutrition and functional medicine, that helped to kind of uh, explain in, quite in detail why we have to think about the root cause of why people get sick. So my practice has transformed as well. And I'm in a traditional health system, a large health system, Advocate Health. In that system, though, I'm allowed to be my individual type of clinician. So in that model, I integrate the metabolic model with all my patients. So if they come in with strep throat or if they come in with depression, I'm always integrating uh, nutrition and, and reminding people that if they do that, along with the conventional things that we do, they'll probably do better. So it's really just uh, creating a model where, and hopefully our new doctors will learn this, if we understand why people get sick and we focus on that, uh, we'll do better. Because I've made that transition, it's been uh, a, transfer, a transformation in my my life because now I go to work and and my colleagues will agree, we actually celebrate uh, every day because people are getting better. Uh, people are, uh, in many cases, getting off or reducing medicines and restoring their health. I had a guy just today who was being treated for diabetes. And when I told him he can get off his insulin one day, he just didn't believe me. And I and then I pulled up a few examples of patients who had done it. And, and, and he was like, if they can do it, I can do it. So that's what this is all about, giving people another way to heal, not to eliminate the other things that we we've done, but to say, can we add this? Can we make that part of the conversation? So it's been wonderful. And that's why we want to kind of spread this message. Love it. I, what I really love too is Dr. Hampton, we, we interviewed you for the documentary Healing Humanity. And one of the things you said was, I went from being a drug dealer to now I'm a healer. It was such a powerful, powerful statement. Mm -hmm. uh, Awesome. And it's so, true. It's true. It's uh, and it's not. And our colleagues are not uh, exposed to this approach. They're they don't necessarily read nutrition studies. They don't necessarily see success stories. Rather, it's anecdotal, or you see it in the journals as well. Uh, so when you live in a world where they they've never seen the the study with type one diabetes uh, with uh, Dykeman and Dr. Eric Westman. And they've not seen type people with type 1 diabetes have A1Cs of 5.6, 5.4. They've not seen that. So, and, and they don't know that you can achieve that without reducing the carbs. So we, we really are speaking to them as well. We want them to know that there's another way. And no, A1C of 7 is not uh, satisfactory. So we have to, it's just not because you're going to still end up over time with the same complications that the person with an A1C of 10 ended up with. So we want to make sure they hear that loud and clear so that they, and then they can become healers. They can start to uh, feel like they've made a difference as opposed to uh, adding more medicines. They get expert at deprescribing. So it's really a completely different way of practicing. Wonderful. Thank you both. Uh, so I just, uh, before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to quickly, again, shout out Dr. Ede's book. There's a link in the description 
uh, below. And there's also a link to Dr. Ede's social media, Dr. Tony's uh, YouTube channel, social media as well. And um, for anyone watching that wants to learn more about this that we're not going to cover through this discussion, get the book. <laughs> but, um, beyond that, too, I just wanted to say, Dr. Hampton, you introduced me to Dr. Ede, and then Dr. Ede introduced me to the folks over at Metabolic Mind. They have an amazing YouTube channel where if you want to dig into this more, they explore the connection between metabolism and brain health. Uh, they've got videos on all sorts of different topics uh, covering a lot of stuff we're talking about today. So uh, thank you guys. So one introduction to the next to the next. It's been it's been really amazing. So I appreciate you both. But there's links for everything in the description below. Yep. We're posting the links in the chat, too, for everyone. And uh, I just want to say thanks, guys, for being here. And I appreciate your book, Dr. Reed. This this is truly going to help change the landscape, not only for individuals, but uh, I believe clinicians as well. I've had two of them reach out to me that that I've contacted in my local area, said that they would be watching tonight. So if you're watching, how, how you doing? <laughs> hey, welcome. No, that's fantastic, because just, just as a uh... Dr. Tony Hampton was saying, we really need to reach not just uh, people and give them hope, people with mental health conditions, but clinicians and nutrition professionals uh, alike so that everybody understands some of the, the basics, just the basics of how to eat properly. Absolutely. Hey, Dr. Anthony Chafee, how's it going? Hey, good, how are you? Great, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we were just doing introductions, so this is good timing. Could you please, uh, Dr. Chafee, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, well, yeah, my, yeah. So I'm just a, you know, a neurosurgical uh, resident. I have a, a practice in functional medicine, preventative health, and, and I try to just um, educate people on proper nutrition, how that affects health and chronic disease. And it's something I've been working on for quite some time. So that's, that's my whole thing. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. I also have a link to Dr. Chafee's channel in the description below, along with links to the books and everything else. Um, I just wanted to say, too, this is kind of I, I really appreciate uh, all of you for joining us. And I know your time is limited. So this is kind of crazy with three hours. We totally understand Dr. Chafee, Dr. Hampton, Dr. Ede, if you have to drop off before we we do this whole three hour thing. So for the first hour, we're going to talk about the book. Uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Chafee, Dr. Hampton, Dr. Ede. The second hour, we have individuals coming in. The third hour is the Q&A. So we have a few questions right now. I was hoping to ask Dr. Ede. Um, yeah. Actually, I'm sorry. Here we go. This is the first question we had. Your book presents a compelling argument for the diet mental health connection. Can you share what inspired you to explore this relationship in your work? Uh, sure. I mean, I for the first 10 years of my practice, I it never crossed my mind you know, that nutrition had anything to do with brain health. I just, as a woman who had always struggled with my weight since I was in the second or third grade, I just thought of my food choices as a way to control my weight. And, uh, you know, in medical school, uh, we didn't learn anything about nutrition and the brain. In, uh, in residency, we didn't talk about food once. So I didn't know. And uh, meanwhile, 10 years of practicing, you know, medications and psychotherapy, the way most psychiatrists practice, and as much as I love my work, most of my patients were not getting better. My practice, like, like just about everybody, the other psychiatrist I know of, uh, our, my practice was filling up with people who weren't getting better. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know any other way to help them. So... Uh, just tried one medicine after another, trial and error, uh, which is how psychiatrists still in 2024 practice, 
trial and error to guess which medicine might be helpful. And so, uh, so anyway, I ran into my own health issues in my early 40s. This was, you know, um, my gosh, more than 15 years ago now, 20 years ago, and started experimenting with my own diet to try to help myself with some physical health issues. And what I arrived at um, through experimentation was kind of an upside down diet um, that fixed every issue that I was dealing with. All these physical issues like migraines and chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and IBS. And, um, and not only did it resolve all of those problems, but my mental health improved as well. And I wasn't even trying to improve my mental health. I thought my mental health was pretty good. Uh, and I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people don't have optimal mental health and they don't even realize it. So uh, when my mental health improved too on this kind of strange upside down diet, I thought this diet seems to be good for the brain. <laughs> uh, I'm a psychiatrist. I've got a lot of patients who are suffering and I don't know how else to help them. I've tried everything. I need to learn about nutrition. I need to, I need to understand why this strange unorthodox diet would improve my brain health and learn whether or not it could help my patients improve their brain health as well. All right. So this question's for the for all three of you, but starting with Dr. Ede, um, considering the global landscape, how dire would you say the current state of mental health is and what trends or observations have you noted in your own professional experiences? Oh, yeah. You know, and I was I was telling, uh, you know, when we were talking last time, uh, Carrie, it's grim. It's grim. And, you know, more than almost a billion people worldwide now have a diagnosable mental health condition of some kind, meaning that the, the condition is so severe that it interferes with a person's ability to function. And that doesn't even count all of the people that are kind of flying under the radar, meaning their mental health isn't great, but it doesn't you know, it's not severe enough for them to qualify for an official diagnosis. So this is this is bad. And, you know, the adults across, say, the United States, for example, one in four have a diagnosable mental health disorder. And now uh, people between the ages of 18 and 25 are young people. It's one in three. So everybody is touched by this. Everybody is either suffering themselves or is directly connected, closely connected to somebody else who is. So it's really awful. And then in my work in college mental health for, you know, for about 12 years, I worked in college mental health at Harvard University and then at Smith College here in Massachusetts. And it was just uh, getting worse every year. The students who were coming onto campus uh, each year we're coming in worse and worse shape, taking more and more medications before they even arrived on campus as a first year student, taking two or three psychiatric medications, having already been hospitalized, sometimes even more than once, and needing a lot of specialized support services to get through college. So it, it you know, it's to feel in college mental health like like I was working in a crisis center or an emergency room sometimes where people were coming in you know really needing leaves of absence or needing uh, you know special support or needing uh, or needing sometimes to withdraw from from school so uh, these are people who should be in the prime of their lives they're really brittle uh, and I think uh, you'll find this across, across college campuses uh, uh, just about anywhere you look. 
Dr. Chafee, uh, same question for you in terms of mental health. What trends or observations have you noted in your own professional experiences? Well, obviously, I you know the the statistics that that Dr. E laid out are pretty stark. You know, I mean, this is obviously getting getting worse by the decade. I I see more and more people, obviously, just in my own sort of personal experience suffering with mental health issues, obviously, because my practice in in the preventative side of things is very focused on diet and lifestyle. And I get to really get to deep dives into you know people's health and, and change their nutrition and these sorts of things. I see massive improvements in people's mental health. And, and just as Dr. Reed said, this is something that not everybody really realizes that they suffer with until it's gone. And so I've had a number of patients come to me and said that they're just they feel so much better. They have so much more mental clarity and they have all these improvements in their life. A lot of people come, you know, for like weight loss or they're just really not feeling well, but the, the added benefits and improvements that we get are, are pretty remarkable. And, and especially like in the teenage populations, that's just a, a real growing concern. And this is something that I've had many parents come to me when they've been able to bring their kids in, their teenage kids, and that their their mental health is so much better. They're doing so much better at school. They're making friends more easily. They're happier. They're not you know, sort of a depressed, unhappy teenager and, and uh, as much as, as they were. So um, it's, it's sort of frightening how much of a problem it is, but it is really, really encouraging to see how much benefit these very simple, maybe not not easy to carry out for a lot of people, but simple in their design that uh, that carrying out these simple sort of uh, measures can have such an impact in their mental health. Thank you. And Dr. Hampton, same question for you. What sort of observations have you noted in your own professional experience? Yeah, one of the striking things um, that Dr. E shared was she didn't realize that she needed some help with her mental clarity, right? So I think what happens is we have people who come to the office and they're suffering from depression or anxiety and all the other health conditions that are related to mental health. And they think it's normal to feel the way they feel. They think that's their normal. So it's just like, I remember the first day I put glasses on and I didn't realize I couldn't see until I put my glasses on. Same is true. And I had the same experience that Dr. Ede had in terms of, uh, you know, mental clarity, having more energy. We, we joked earlier, she said, aren't you tired, doctor? It's the end of the day. And I said, not really. And I think part of it now, if it was my old version of myself before I became low carb keto and now carnivore, I would have been tired at this hour. But because of the change, this is my new normal. So whenever I don't feel good, which is what I felt this morning because I didn't get enough sleep, I can't I'm, I can't live that way. I just can't because I'm so accustomed to feeling good. Now, having said that, we have to I'm optimistic about the future in this sense. If we can create a former forum like this where we share this message and we have other clinicians, other health systems recognizing that this is a way out. And we use that as a way to then incorporate diet lifestyle to how we treat mental health. Things will over time change. The issue now is that, and a lot of health systems are doing this, we have to harvest the information. We need to know where people are. So what I would like to see more of, and we're doing this in our health system, we need to ask the question, how 
you know, doctors hate to ask that question at the end of the day on a Friday. Uh, is there any, how are you doing? Most, <laughs> you don't want to ask it at five on a Friday because you're trying to get to your family, right? So, so, but if you ask that question, many people, uh, Dr. Ede said one out of three people have issues with anxiety. And most of us have had issues with anxiety at some point in our lifetime. So, so if we ask the question and we have a way to address it that works, right? That'll provide hope for people. And I think that although things are not looking as good as I would like them to, I think there's hope. And the last thing I'll say, uh, I'm really big into health equity. So what that means is I want care to be equitably available to everybody. So so I need to, when I see a person who's challenged, a young uh, woman who's working two jobs, the, the you know, that night shift, got kids, she's single, how do we support her? Because if we don't think about all of those parts of the equation, we may have the best medicine for her, we may even have the best diet and we know what that is, but is that enough for her? And the answer is probably not. So that's why we have to think bigger and we have to treat this like a, a soup of ingredients that we'll need to help people heal. Wonderful, thank you. Adam, I think you're on mute. Carrie here for the Carnivore Diet Movie, and thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcasts. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this Carnivore Diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get it on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www carnivoredietmovie.com and once you're there you can sign up for free to our email newsletter and once a week we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes uh, we'll tell you about new meetups we'll give you special invites and things like that completely free sign up there the other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder people have been loving these we offered them on our 24-hour live stream you can purchase these right on the website and every proceed every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary and the other thing we have there are the water bottles and the cutting boards they're completely customizable and you can engrave them Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. Awesome, Dr. Hampton. I love that. So I have a question, Dr. Ede, from a lady that reached out in a local community group that I admin on Facebook. And... Uh, you know, the, the mental health uh, landscape out there doesn't seem like it's that great. So it's, it's so bad that this lady decided to just randomly throw out, uh, you know, I need help. And she's looking for answers in terms of her mental health. And I responded to her and long story short, she kind of has a, a question that I, I would like to address um, and see if you might be able to uh, shed some light on this, especially in light of your book, since I've read it and you do kind of provide some insight into this. So if someone has done a keto diet to help improve their mental health and it helped a little, but was not effective enough, is it possible to see better results on a carnivore diet? The short answer is yes. 
Uh, and it's actually one of one of uh, first of all, I'm I'm sorry to hear that she's not feeling well. Um, and I want to give her some hope here that there's more that she could do. And uh, so, so to keep trying. And one of the things I do in the book is give people lots of different options uh, so that you can keep progressing forward. And so uh, if you try a ketogenic diet and it doesn't help you very much or it doesn't help you at all, um, that a, a really logical next step that I use in my practice all the time, it's kind of my secret weapon, kind of my clinical secret weapon, is to recommend a carnivore diet, even as a short-term experiment, uh, which often then becomes a longer-term uh, uh, life uh, sort of life strategy for people who fall in love with it. But it's a really great strategy um, to for troubleshooting because uh, it eliminates a lot of the common culprits all at once. Uh, it's it's even more anti-inflammatory. It's even less, you know, uh, toxic and irritating than you know. It, it 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 really brings you to the next level in terms of inflammation, oxidative stress, insulin resistance, you know, carbohydrate intake, issues with fiber, uh, digestibility, um, natural toxins that exist in plants are are virtually eliminated. And so, for some people who don't respond to to ketogenic diets, carnivore diets. Not only do they make sense as the next step, but they often work. They don't always work. I mean, there are some people who don't respond even to no matter what diet I use, but but the people who don't respond in my in, in my experience are it's a pretty small number. So it's a pretty small percentage. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, less than 10 or maybe even less than 5% of people that I've worked with don't get some noticeable, meaningful amount of benefit from using these dietary strategies. So, but it's definitely not the only factor. There are other things to look at. And I, I spell those out in the book too. But if you've used keto and it's only helped you to a certain extent and you need more relief, progressing to a carnivore diet is a really, really useful strategy and very much worth doing. I love that answer. Along those same lines, Dr. Chafee, how do you have conversations with folks about things like doing carnivore diet or keto diet um, when so many people are scared? They've been told the opposite their whole lives. Like, how do you how do you broach that? Well, it, it depends on on how we sort of lead into that conversation, sort of the, the health issues that they're having. You know, if someone has a you know, mental health issue, for example, I would I would point them to Dr. Eads' work or Dr. Palmer's work and say, actually, there are ways that you can actually help this, you know, and that this is this is uh, you know it's a growing body of of literature on this, and uh, and it can help. And I've seen it help people. I've seen it help myself. I've seen it help my patients. And we talk about you know some of the mechanisms as as to why that would be, and this this can help other underlying issues as well. So I generally try to lead in by you know, uh, what what sort of issue that they're having? You know, if someone were suffering from cancer, be like, well, hell, you know, look, this is there's something called ketogenic metabolic therapy, as Professor Thomas Seafried and, and Dr. Otto Warburg. There's all this body of information. There's all and all these studies and things like that, and so I, I sort of lead into it that way, um, because there there are so many different things that that this can help. And when you talk to them about how diet and lifestyle has a massive improvement or a massive role to play in health. People do understand that. I always tell them, I preface it by saying, look, there, there are medicines that we can use and they can be helpful. 95% of the results are going to be from your diet and lifestyle. 
And so these other things can sort of fill in the gaps and they can be definitely a very strong aid. But the major things are, are your diet and lifestyle and getting that under control. And if you fix that, you know, that will do most of the work. And then we can try to, uh, you know, bridge the gaps with with medications and uh, and that sort of thing. So it's um, yeah, just basically whatever whatever issue that they're having, you know, try to go in from that angle. Dr. Hampton, just a quick question. I know you were a vegetarian for a long time. And do you have uh, any uh, patients that come to you that are like, I can't, I can't do meat. I want to do ketogenic vegetarian. Um, and do you have yeah. success with that? Do they have success with it? Yeah, uh, I'm a huge component of meeting people where they are. Um, if a person is um, their religion says we're not eating cows. They're Hindu. If a person can't rationalize eating animals, as we think about Dr. Chafee's beautiful cat in the background, <laughs> you know, they just can't do it. They just can't do it. And Or they say they don't tolerate meat. Now, we know that there are reasons why they may not tolerate meat. We can fix that. But for some people, they just don't tolerate it. Um, or culture. So what I say to the people in front of me, there is a way to do, they have a great book called The Vegetarian Reset, which is kind of a plant-based, low-carb book. So I say, you know, here's a resource um, that'll help you. The Diet Doctor website has a whole vegetarian section. So what I do as a family doctor is I provide resources and I say to them that I'm going to walk with them in spite of the fact that that may not be the best diet for them, because we don't want to live in a world where we don't walk with people. Who are they then to go to if you're not the one, right? You're probably the most competent metabolic doc in the on the block. So why not you walk with them? So what I tend to do is I, I kind of, I don't try to push that envelope. I certainly don't do that even with carnivore. I kind of start with low carb and we go from there. But then what I do is I say, there are some things that are traditionally deficient on a plant-based diet. Those, some of those things we're going to check for. There are some supplements that traditionally are very helpful for a person on a plant-based diet. Let's, let's make sure you are able to do that. I may then, if they struggle, talk them into eating eggs if, I, if they really need to get some protein from a source that's an animal source. And sometimes they'll go for that. Uh, obviously, there are supplements that are protein-based as well. So, so for me, you'll never see me in a, in a conversation with a patient trying to convince them of something that they feel strongly about. I just kind of get a feel for where they are. If they're completely clueless about nutrition, I will push them towards an animal-based diet. If they're, but if they come in with a strong opinion, I just think that that's what we want in our society. If, if you know, we don't want to be in New York where we have to eat plants on Mondays and Fridays in our schools. We want to be in a society where people are educated from the plant folk, what they think is best, from the animal-based folk, what they think is best, and then they make decisions that are best for their family. That's a better model, and that's kind of what America is all about. And I really hope that as we move forward and we're having conversations with people who are on the other side of the aisle, that they understand that so that we can find some common ground. And I just think that that's the better approach as opposed to making fun of them every day. You know, it's not, that's not, we're too mature of a society to do things like that. Yeah. I, I was, I was just going to say too, that that's a really good point. Um, I, I definitely don't um, just jump in and say, 
you should, you should only eat meat and don't eat anything else. I always ask them, it's like, so, so what is your diet like now? And I always sort of get a feel for that and sort of, and, and exactly as, as Dr. Hampton said, you know, try to meet them where they are. And, and, and if they're, you know, a lot of people come from, I, I think upwards of 60% of the people that follow me on social media and, and YouTube have been vegans at one point. They, 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 they're so they're health conscious. They're trying to do the right thing. They went down that path that did not work. And now they're coming, trying to find something else. But I always ask them that it's like, well, what are you eating now? What is your diet? Like almost all the time they'll say either good or bad. They'll say, it's like, Oh, it's pretty good. Okay. What does that mean to you? And then we, we sort of go through that as well. And some people, Oh, it's really awful. And then you, you know what they're talking about processed food and sugary sort of stuff like that. But um, yeah, that's a very good point is that you need to sort of find out where they're coming from, because if you just jump straight into what your opinion is on a diet side of things, you can, you can get people pulling back quite quickly on that. And then you'll have a much more difficult conversation. Yeah. And there are just so, I agree with both of you. There are just so many improvements you can make to a diet. I mean, if you're eating a standard diet, just about any change you make is going to be a step in the right direction. And so, you know, like, like both of you, I mean, I, I tell people I'm nutritionally pro-choice. So I just want you to have the right information so that you can make your own informed choice and you can decide what's most important to you. And if you decide that eating animals isn't something that you feel comfortable doing, I'll still help you obviously optimize your diet to be the brain healthiest that it can be, because there's still lots of improvements you can make to your diet, even if you don't feel comfortable eating animal foods. And, uh, and especially, and I make this point in the book, because I think this is from a psychiatrist's point of view or, or a psychological point of view, really important is that red meat in particular I think it's really difficult for a lot of people to feel comfortable eating because we're talking about mammals or fellow mammals. Um, you know, we can make eye contact with them. We have a lot in common with them. It doesn't have to be red meat. You can get the nutrients elsewhere. Um, so for a lot of people, they, they make that equation. Oh, I'd have to eat red meat to be healthy. And there are definitely other options. So, you know, like both of you were saying, meet people where they're at, find out where the, where, you know, where the improvements can be made be flexible and open-minded and, and, and find out what their goals are, meet them where they are. And, you know, because, you know, most of my patients, especially when I was in college settings, they weren't choosing vegan or vegetarian diets for health reasons. They were choosing them for compassionate reasons. And so they just thought that better health was icing on the cake. Uh, they didn't realize that there were actually health risks involved in not eating animal foods. And that's where the information gap is. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, being a good clinician is about meeting people where, where they, where they're at, regardless of what I may think about what they should eat or what they should prioritize. All right. Here's a question for the group, starting with uh, Dr. Ede. The standard American diet, obesity, and mental health issues are accepted as new normals. Social norms are hard to break. How do we break these social patterns? What an interesting question, right? It's become normal to expect poor mental health. Poor mental health has become normal. Obesity has become normal. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I was overweight as a kid, but I was one of the only overweight kids in my school. I, I was really, really unusual. Uh, I really stood out for being overweight. And now you look around and most kids are overweight. And it's unusual to see kids that are that are of healthy weight. 
uh, and looking physically fit and well. So that, that is a problem because, it, you know, especially my work with college students, um, my most recent work with college students between 2013 and 2018 was at Smith College in Western Massachusetts, uh, a women's college where there was, you know, uh, one of the, one of the um, uh, um, ideals on campus or one of the philosophies on campus was body positivity, right? Health at any size, body positivity. And so uh, this, uh, I, I, I don't talk with people about their weight generally. I talk to them about their mental health. That's the focus of my work. But it's often, uh, it's very common for people to confuse these two things. And so uh, really being overweight is just a symptom. It's just a symptom of underlying poor metabolic health. It's not the thing that, that I care about or that, or that I think that even that, that you should care about whether you whether you do or not, you know, it's up to you. But my goal is better metabolic health because if you can improve your metabolic health, your weight will improve if the, if you if you if that matters to you, and your mental health will also improve. So how do we break these social patterns? I think one way is to separate out in our in the conversation um, weight and and health because I, I want people to focus not on their weight. I want them to focus on the things that actually matter that, um, that they can change very quickly. It might take you a year to lose weight to get to where you're trying to be. It can take you a matter of days or weeks to normalize your glucose and insulin levels and have all of your cells start to work better, function better, including your brain cells. And once that happens, then you're setting a new standard for what it's, for what it's like to be a healthy, human being and and it's catchy you know people see that you're feeling better and sounding better and looking better and performing better and they want to know how that happened and that you know it, regardless of you know <laughs> regardless of how much you weigh at the time that you're you know, that you're making that change so if we could shift the focus of the conversation off of weight and onto metabolic health and then everything else should improve um, by leaps and bounds as a result of that. Thank you. Dr. Chafee, do you have any other ideas for uh, breaking social norms? Like sugar's the big one. It's just like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just sugar. We've always had it. We give it to kids. It's in cartoon characters on cereal boxes. You go to grandma's house, she gives you cookies. Hmm. Well, I think, I think that's obviously a, a very big one. I mean, I, I, I've sort of equated this to the, the opium trade, you know, historically, this is some massive, massive enterprise that's harming a lot of people was making just fortunes for you know, a lot of people. So it's not, it's not something that they want to give up, but this is a drug. We need to understand it's a drug. It affects us uh, mentally and physically in very negative ways. And we're putting this in everything. You know, the sugar companies, I believe, know for a fact that this stuff is addictive and this stuff is causing harm. People like Callie Means, who's a sort of a whistleblower for the food and drug companies, says that they know that this causes metabolic ill health, that this causes damage and it's addictive. And he says, I know that they know this because I've been in the boardrooms with them as they spoke about it. You know, so, you know, this is something that I think we need to to have people recognize that this is this is a drug. This is something that we really shouldn't be giving to our children and probably shouldn't be using ourselves, but at least should not be putting this in 
baby formula and, and giving candies and chocolates and sweets and everything. They, well, but they like them. Well, they'd probably like cocaine too. That doesn't mean that you give it to them, right? You know, it's, it's not very good uh, for their body and their, and their developing brain. So I think you know, taking, you know, having people understand just how bad these things are is really important. Um, you know, no one should be made to feel bad on, on their appearance or the way they look or their health, certainly. But, you know, there, there is this growing movement of saying, hey, you know, look, this is good to be overweight. This is healthy, all these sorts of things. And there are these, these influencers that are overweight and are have entire channels where they're just, you know, gorging themselves and eating these junk foods. And many of them have died in the past year. I mean, this is this is a very bad example to set for people. This is a very bad thing to, to be pushing, driving people um, uh, to doing themselves. These these influencers, they they're being paid to make these videos by the processed food companies in order to say to normalize eating garbage. And so we need to normalize eating real food again. We need to make that normal. We need to make it normal and acceptable to, to actually care about your health. And understand that there are things in the world that actually do damage our health. And it's okay if you're unhealthy. It's okay if you make these choices. You're not a bad person. No one's mad at you. But, you know, it actually is unhealthy. And that it is okay to be healthy. It is okay to uh, to try to worry about your health as well. Some people get get uh, stigmatized for being healthy. I mean, um, I've, I've seen people... You know, my my girlfriend Elle, she would post something, and and most things comments are positive, and then some people are like, "Oh, I can't believe! It. I think that that's disgusting! How skinny you are!" This time, what what kind of comment is that? You know, and especially because because of someone who was underweight and is now actually eating more and is a more healthy weight, and they're telling her how disgusting she is that she's, um, you know, uh, so skinny. I mean, it's just like this is this is not healthy. And that's not a healthy dynamic. That's not a healthy uh, sign of a healthy society. And so I think we we need to uh, normalize being healthy again, and that that's and that's okay to actually worry about your health and avoid things that are that are no that are harmful, like sugar. Thank you, Dr. Hampton. Do you have any thoughts on breaking these social norms? Yeah, I think most of us. When you think about the average person that we know, they really don't want to be uh, on a diet that's not good for them or their family. Um, nobody really wants to be at a weight that's not considered healthy. Nobody wants to suffer from mental illness. So I think when I think about this, I think about even how I perceive the world. And I remember when I, before I got training in functional medicine, I thought that I was being a pretty good doctor by looking at a patient and diagnosing their disease. If I diagnosed their disease and gave them the right pill, procedure or surgery, my perception is that I'm a phenomenal doctor. And then I learned that there's another way of doing this where I can ask a different question, which is why did the person get the disease in the first place? I never really was trained to ask that question. I thought that diagnosing the disease or figuring out which organ was sick and fixing that organ was the right way to do things. So when you think about the current conventional model of medicine, where we look at symptoms, we diagnose organs, and we or we even do a good job of detecting it early, but that model 
is not the model I follow now where I think about how not only to prevent disease, but if you get something, how can we reverse it? And if we heal people and reverse disease, that's a better model. It's a more holistic. It, it honors the individual patient because there are times when, even when you're in the hospital, and Dr. Chafee really knows this, if you have a certain diagnosis, you have a certain amount of time you're supposed to be in the hospital. Think about how ridiculous that is. So, but every individual is different. Every human system. So if we treat the entire human organism and we then put that in front of our clinicians and say, guess what, guys, what we were doing previously is probably not the best model. And I think for patients, if they see that there's another model, I just, I mean, literally just today, I had a conversation with a patient about their kidneys and they were told by the kidney doctor, we can't improve that. And I told him, you can improve that. I shared a study with Dr. David Unwin in the UK and how he, over the course of seven years, did a trial where renal function got better on a low-carb diet. It just is what it is. So, so I said to the patient, you have a fork in the road moment. You can go this way or that way. And I'm saying my way is that there's hope. And the other doctor's way is we're waiting to determine when you go on dialysis. Mm -hmm. So if people are given a co convincing argument and we use a logic, they'll be very, very eager to hear what you're selling. They'll, they'll be very eager to provide hope to that family member who is making these life altering decisions and being told there's nothing we can do. So, Again, there's a point when you have to use those options like dialysis, but in many cases, if you get it in early, like with dementia, Dr. E would say, if you get it early, there are some things that we can do. And if we don't do that, we're shame on us. And my hope is that, this is why her book is so important. If there's somebody in your life who is on the verge of dementia, they have cognitive decline. If there's somebody in your life who's had bipolar and their life is a wreck because they can't function in society. If Kanye West was given this option instead of pills, assuming he has the diagnosis, I didn't have, sorry, I had to go there. <laughs> Imagine how creative he could continue to be if he was able to maintain his creativity with a diet as opposed to taking a pill that takes it away. So it's just a better option. And all we're saying is the word option. We want it to be an option. And if people are given that option, it'll change the whole landscape. But doctors are not aware of anything we're talking about. So that's the problem. Right. I, I was just gonna I was just gonna add to that, you know, how, how you were saying about um, you know, there's certain disease and you have certain days in, in hospital. It's it's even more than that here in Australia in the public hospital system, you you only get paid by those certain days. Someone comes in with an appendicitis, appendicitis takes two days to treat. I don't know if you knew that. And so if you, you, uh, you come in with appendicitis, you will be paid for a two-day hospital stay. And if they're in for one day or they're in for five days, you're getting paid for two days. And so it's up to you to make it fit that mold to get those uh, those those round pegs in those square holes and um and then they you know then they sort of do this retrospective look and they look at the sort of the averages for that year and say okay well these are the new averages 
this year you you get three days for an appendicitis and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's quite funny how that 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 actually is, is literally the case and for the funding here. Um, and you know you're talking about um, what well, we're talking about stigmas and things like that. Well, one thing that that I think is is really important that that uh, Dr. Hampton brought up is that you know people have do have the right motivations. They do want to try to be healthy. They're just maybe given the wrong information. And, you know, some of that is, you know, saying that, you know, there was that statement that came out uh, in, in the last couple of years saying that, well, genetic or, or obesity is is basically genetic. You know, if you, if your parents were obese, 80% chance that you're going to be obese, nothing you can do about it. And that that's quite defeating for some people. And it just tells them there's nothing you can do about it. It's out of your control and just, just give up basically, you know, take Ozempic. And that, that's the only thing that that's your only option. And, and of course that's not the case, you know, of course that's, um, you know, there, of course you have something that you can do. Of course there's, it's within your control. You just need the right information. So I think a lot of people are really hungry for that information and the right information. They're just being led in, in very different ways, which is why these sorts of conversations are so important, which is why, you know, everyone here's uh, channel and the work that they're doing is really important to sort of get that out there. So that, like, you know, they have hope, they have options and they can do with those options what they please, but at least they understand that there are options. And, you know, there are a lot of people like if you leave the, the you know, the, uh, the vegan uh, group, you get ostracized, you get attacked. Generally, when someone leaves Carmel, they say, oh, well, I just, you know, I just couldn't do it. I really liked it. I was like, that's fine. At least you know that how it worked for you. At least you have that frame of reference. And if you feel that that's something that can help you in the future, you can always come back to it. At least you know now, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I felt all really good. I felt a lot better. All these things improve, but, you know, just for family reasons or this or that. Fine. That's fine. It is your choice, but at least you know now, at least you have this, this, uh, you know, this tool in your, in your repertoire that you can use at a later date if you want to. And, and quite often, quite often they do. You know, they're like, oh, I kind of want to do this. So I was like, well, you know, you know how to, I, I sort of want to lose weight. I had a friend of mine doing that at a competition in the, in our hospital who could lose the most weight in a certain period of time. And one of the, one of my friends had done carnivore and he had lost like, you know, 20 pounds in a month. Mm -hmm. said, well, you know the trick. Kerry here for the carnivore diet movie. And thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this carnivore diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get it on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. And once you're there, you can sign up for free to our email newsletter. And once a week, we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes. Uh, we'll tell you about new meetups. We'll give you special invites and things like that. Completely free. Sign up there. The other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size Redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder. People have been loving these. We offered them on our 24-hour live stream. You can purchase these right on the website. And every proceed, every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary. And the other thing we have there are the water bottles, and the cutting boards. They're completely customizable and you can engrave them. Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. You know how to do it. And he sort of went, 
yeah, actually, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I can just, I can just eat carnivore and I'll just win this competition. You know, so at least they have that frame of reference and they have those options. And I think that's really important. I mean, people don't realize how much more control they have over mm -hmm. their health, their physical health, their mental health. Uh, you know, we're told, uh, picking up on what both of you are saying, we're told that all the risk factors for a lot of these diseases are things we have no control over when it's not true. So we're told that, for example, with Alzheimer's disease, that the risk factors are how old you are, what your genes are, what your family history is. Uh, and uh, you don't have any control over any of those things. So you just kind of sit around and wait, think, oh, am I going to be next? Is Alzheimer's going to be, am I going to be the next person to get Alzheimer's? There's nothing I can really do about it. So I guess I'll just go to wait and see, like a sitting duck. And But most people still don't know even 20 years after it's been confirmed that insulin resistance, like insulin levels running too high too often because of eating the wrong way too often, that's a tremendously powerful driving force, a causal force behind most cases of Alzheimer's disease. And most people still don't know this. And, and you have tremendous control, almost total control over your insulin levels. This is something you can do a lot about really quickly. So the, these are the pieces of information that for whatever reason don't break into mainstream medicine. And still people are just waiting and you know, looking for these super expensive drugs and injections that have terrible side effects and that barely make a difference. I don't, it's just so hard to understand sometimes why, why that kind of information penetrates the, the the mainstream thinking in medicine and information that's really powerful and empowering doesn't seem to cut through the noise. Um, but I think most people would want to know that there's something they could do about Alzheimer's. It doesn't mean they all would because it's hard to change your diet. It doesn't mean they all would, but I think people deserve to know. So they, like you both were saying, so they have the option to make a different choice if, if, if that's what they care about. I, I think that's a really good point with Alzheimer's. You know, if this is if this is completely out of people's control, it, it just comes down to genetics and family history. Then why was it only discovered in 1906? Right? <laughs> right. You know, why, why is there nothing in the medical literature going back to Galen and Hippocrates that described a similar uh, pathology? It, it, it showed up in 1906, and uh, you know, Dr. Alzheimer's presented this at a at a conference. And people were just kind of like uninterested. They're like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just, a, this is a one-off. And, um, you know, but it obviously grew since then, unfortunately. And so, you know, if, it, if, if this was completely out of control, it wasn't, had no environmental, you know, uh, so inputs, then, you know, we would have seen this forever. You know, one of my, one of my professors in medical school said, uh, Alzheimer's is inevitable, uh, inevitable. If you live long enough, you will get Alzheimer's. Okay. Then why are younger and younger and younger and younger people getting Alzheimer's? Explain that. Why, why are people in their 20s? Why, why is there juvenile Alzheimer's now? Why the hell is that a thing? You know, and so if this is just a matter of age, then why is it spreading to more and more uh, younger people? That doesn't make sense. Um, you know, they if, if just as you get old, you get senile. Well, OK, well, then why did they have to kill Socrates for causing such a ruckus at 76? You know, and, um, you know, the, the, these are people, you know, lived lived to be great ages as long as they weren't killed by something. 
And that's what people don't understand. There's a difference between average life expectancy from birth and how long you lived if if you weren't killed by something. And so there were there were plenty of people that lived, you know, to be a great age. We did not see these diseases. You know, we saw it in 1906 and then 18, 1896. Life expectancies were very similar at that point. You look at the census data in America, you know, it goes back to 1850. It goes decade by decade. If you were born in 1850, your average life expectancy would be, you know, 36, 38. But if you made it to 10 years old, you'd make it to 56. If you made it to 20 years old, you'd be in your late 60s and so on. And so if you if you made it to adulthood, the chances were you would you would live a great age and very similar ages to what we see now, and yet no Alzheimer's. And yet Alzheimer's is growing now in younger and younger populations. So of course there's something that we can do. And if we can if we can affect it from a preventative standpoint, we should be able to affect it from a treatment standpoint as well. And I'll, I'll add this. It's kind of interesting how many of us, when we made our lifestyle changes, ended up at Carnivore, how we talked about the things that got better, not suggesting we had early Alzheimer's, but guess what? Our memory got better. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Our ability to concentrate got better. That sounds familiar. Our mood, we were easier. My wife's like, it's easy to be around you, sir. And that's because, <laughs> and guess what? When you have somebody with dementia, their mood changes. They can't remember things. So what I'm saying is there are so many signs of poor metabolic health in society today. And it's not necessarily happening when you're 80. It's happening when you're 20. When I was not metabolically healthy, I would literally be at the lights because I was so like tired, I'd be sleeping at the lights. I would be talking to patients and they would say, doc, are you with me? I'd be dozing. I wouldn't and I'm making decisions, life and death decisions about their health, right? So imagine you have a family member who is showing some of these signs right now. And imagine you know what you now know, that a keto or carnivore diet can actually start to heal that poor metabolic health. Imagine what things will look like 10 years from now if you don't provide that information. Imagine what life-changing information you can provide. So I just think for all of us, things like dementia has so much potential for change. If you go into the average nursing home today where they have a dementia floor, you will find they're getting dessert after every meal. Most of the stuff on their plate is starchy. And you'll see them in an environment where it'll only worsen their dementia. Imagine now we have a metabolic dementia place where we actually feed them a keto or carnivore diet. We keep them active. We keep them stimulated. And, and they may get so good that they have to take them off that floor and put them on a regular floor. And, and I've, we've seen people improve to the point where they don't need the type of help they once had. So again, these are the little talking points that I'm sure Dr. Georgia E. shared in her book, but more importantly, that you need to know so you can provide hope for your family. And how Kramer's work is really remarkable in, in this regard, you know, in terms of, you know, putting people with, uh, with dementia on healthy uh, diets and then seeing them improve and not need 
not need assisted living facilities anymore. I mean, this is, you know, this is aging in reverse. This is, you know, this is brain healing. And this is what a lot of people have been told isn't possible. You know, we've just been told that there isn't anything you can do. And, you know, here's your diagnosis and, you know, get your affairs in order. And we're now seeing, I've seen this in my own practice, with, there are some published case reports. Um, and uh, and, and I, I put examples in the book as well of people reversing uh, symptoms of Alzheimer's disease uh, using dietary strategies. And I mean, if more people knew about this, I do think that they would be excited to, to try some of these strategies. But as you're saying, we think of, especially when, as people get older, they think, well, you know, I'm, I'm 80, I'm 85, I'm 90, I'm just gonna eat whatever I want. Because they're thinking, oh, it's all about their waistline, but it's not. It's about their their it's about their brain health, but they don't know. So they don't know that the choices they're making aren't just about vanity. You know, they're about sanity. <laughs> you know, they're they're about they're about your your mental health, your ability to connect with your loved ones, to to remember their faces, to to have joyful times with people, and you can get a lot of that back if you start early. Alzheimer's just like type two diabetes takes many, many years to develop. It's not as though suddenly overnight when you, you know, you wake up at 75 years old and you have, you have early dementia, it's been quietly brewing in the background for 20, 30 years as you become more and more insulin resistant and your brain becomes less and less energized and, you know, it starts to gradually begin to die. So, Obviously, earlier the better, but we've seen cases where people are even already have already have early Alzheimer's, and I put an, as I said an example of this in my book. But there are published cases as well where people actually improve uh, even after they've gotten the official diagnosis, and in some cases improve to to better than they were before they got the diagnosis. And so, I think it's really extremely hopeful and empowering for people who you know, like we we're all saying, who want, who want a different way, you know, who want to do something about it, uh, rather than just take it lying down. I just want to add to that. I love how you said a different way, because I think that's one of the, one of the big things is, um, there's a billion people, like you said, suffering from mental health, but there's a couple of people doing it a different way. This whole positive deviant thing, they're doing something drastically different and they're having amazing results. We need to really elevate the voices of those people. Every one of us here on the call are positive deviants doing something drastically different, but we're all having amazing results. And I really think that's one way to break those social norms is to elevate the voices of people. They're trying something different, but having just incredible results. The only other thing I wanted to say real quick too is one of the things I've learned doing this documentary that's just been incredible, I started doing it for mental health, fix my depression, anxiety. And I started talking, like Dr. E talks about metabolic health. Well, then I talked to Dr. Philip Ovadia um, about heart health, and he's talking about metabolic health. Then I had Professor Seafried on the channel, and he's talking about metabolic health. Starting to see some, some patterns here. It's like every single person. So for people watching this, it's just, it's kind of amazing. It's all connected. It's like, you want to do this to fix your mental health. It's amazing. It's the only thing that did it for me after going on all of these pills for most of my adult life. But all these other things are fixed too. And, and like we were talking about, I'm, I'm pretty confident my odds of getting Alzheimer's or dementia or cancer down the road is greatly, greatly reduced because of it. So awesome. Adam, did you have a question? 
before we move into the next segment, I want to give a quick shout out to Dr. Ede's brand new book, Change Your <laughs> Diet, Change Your Mind. Absolutely phenomenal book. And it also doubles as a breastplate armor, a bulletproof vest. Because <laughs> there's no possible way that you're going to blow any holes in this book with over 100 pages of references. It's absolutely incredible. And the content is unreal. I do have one quick question for you, Dr. Reed. Mm. So in your book, you talk about quiet paleo, quiet keto, and quiet carnivore diets. You know, that's kind of something that you uh, established in your book. And how, how is that different for someone with a mental health issue compared to what we know as the standard diets of those? Sure. So uh, I put these three different strategies in the book. First of all, so people would have a choice of you know, where they wanted to begin and where they wanted to go. And because uh, I, you know, I, uh, ketogenic diets are really the cornerstone of my practice. And, you know, because I work in brain health. And so, uh, you know, ketones to energize the brain can be really a game changer. But not everybody needs to do a ketogenic diet to see results, and not everybody wants to do a ketogenic diet, and uh, not everybody can do a ketogenic diet. So I want people to know there's so many other ways that they can improve their brain health. So I have a, as you said, quiet paleo, quiet keto, quiet carnivore, and the reason I say quiet, so the reason that these are different, the way that these are different from standard paleo, keto, and carnivore diets is that um, I've modified them in these kind of special ways to be quieter on your gut, on your mitochondria, on your nervous system, on your immune system, on your thyroid health, um, just easier to digest, lower in, lower in plant toxins. I've taken you know, some of the, the most aggressive types of plants out of, of the diet, and also it's lower in histamine, so it's lower in processed meats as well, uh, and, and doesn't any dairy. And so it, it, these, are, these are quieter diets. And the, the reason why I do this is because I want people, you know, I'm asking people to change their diets for something like six to 12 weeks, depending on which, which part of the roadmap you follow. If you don't see results pretty quickly, you might give up. You might get frustrated and give up. So you can, you can definitely still follow a standard paleo, standard keto, or standard carnivore diet. It, absolutely. Please do. Uh, if you know, you don't have to follow these quieter versions, but for people who either don't respond to those standard versions of these diets or who want to the most possible relief in the most efficient way in the least amount of time with the, the least amount of troubleshooting necessary later on, then uh, the, 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 that's why I designed these diets because you can find paleo keto carnivore diets elsewhere. Uh, so these are based on all the troubleshooting of people's diets that I've done over the years, they'll come to me and say, oh, I've tried keto, it didn't work. Or I tried carnivore, it didn't work. I tried paleo, it didn't work. And so we you know, have learned you know, how to modify these diets for better results. So um, essentially uh, taking out the, the, the most common culprits so that people have a more efficient uh, experience with ex experimenting with these diets. Awesome. I love that. I definitely appreciate your version of it because I have a histamine intolerance. So, ah. Yeah, that could be a, a big issue for some people. And I, I didn't know it for the longest time. You know, I felt so good on carnivore, but, you know, the histamine was causing an issue and it was good to see confirmation of that in your book. So I definitely suggest everyone get a copy of the book, read it and uh, learn, learn something new and, and, you know, start start yourself down the road to healing, healing your mind for sure. So. With that, Carrie, I think we have some guests 
that we're going to bring on here. Yes. Absolutely. I think our first guest, let's see. There we go. Larry, how's it going? Larry. Carnivore soldier. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. So we're hoping Larry to hear your story, how you changed your diet and it changed your mind and then uh, open yeah. it up for, if you have questions for Dr. E, Dr. Chafee or Dr. Hampton. Um, so yeah, looking forward to hearing your story. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm a retired soldier, um, chief warrant officer, retired signal soldier. And um, I, I basically, at, at, in uh, last year in March, I was at 280 pounds. I'd retired from the army in 2019 at the age of 53. So I had a long run. Uh, and all my life I've been an athlete and a um, military person. So I've been able to maintain my fitness pretty well. In fact, when I get ready for schools in the army, I would do a keto to, to get ready for a school to transition to optimize my health. I knew it worked. So uh, I remember I was I went to Warren Officer Candidate School. I was selected late in my career. I was 45. I was the oldest guy in the class. And in my class, uh, the average age was 23. They were mostly pilots. And I was a signal chief. So when I got there, uh, they were running seven-minute miles. And the best I could do at 45 was eight. So it was really a challenge. But so I knew I knew keto worked. But again, all I did was experience the weight loss and the um, and the up energy is all I got out of that. I never got like the full transition package until I was just looking at Jeep parts because I'm a Jeeper and I was up to 280 after I'd gotten out of out of the army. I'm six foot three. I was I got to 280 pounds. I ballooned during COVID, and mm -hmm. I was just out of control and really depressed. And I um, I saw a video with uh, Dante Fregno, which same one you saw, Carrie, and about the same time, about three days after you started, Carrie, <laughs> I'm on the same track as you. I think I'm on day 307 or 308 or something like that. So once I saw that video, I thought, well, I'm going to call BS on that. That's that's not that's not real. So then I looked at I knew it was an old video, so I looked at the current video, and they're like, wow, the guy looks better. And not only did he look better, he was animated differently. He spoke differently. Everything about him was a different person. And I was like, man, I want that energy. I want that. But I still had a hard time believing it. So then I saw Dr. I, I Googled it, you know, of course. And I saw Dr. Ken Berry doing it. And I knew him from keto days before he was carnivore. So I used to follow him when I'd get ready for schools. So I'm like, well, this guy's legit. And if he's actually going carnivore, this has got to be real. And then I found Dr. Chavy and I found Dr. Hampton and all the other doctors like posts and stuff, kilts. And Baker and I was like, okay, this is real. So then I just made the decision, like most military people will, to uh, cross the Rubicon. I was gonna, I was gonna burn my ships Cortez style, and either <laughs> this was gonna work or it wasn't. But it wasn't gonna be because I didn't put in the effort. So I did maximum effort. I cleaned out my, my in one day, cleaned out my cabinet, just went and bought a bunch of beef, eggs, and just I just said that's it, it's gonna happen, and it did. And then. Uh, I can tell you in the first month, uh, 26 pounds lost, the, my brain fog lifted, uh, I, the anxiety that I didn't know I was carrying was gone. There's anxiety I didn't even realize was there, gone. Depression, gone. Um, so everything changed. And then I lost, continued to lose weight. I'm, I'm down to 232 pounds now, almost my playing weight. When I get back to 228, that's my rugby weight, all right? So that's what I'm going for trying to get my six pack ass back. I'm running sprints. Thank you, Dr. O'Mara. I'm, you know, I'm doing all this great stuff now, but my first six months, I did no exercise and went from 280 to 234. And I mean, ridiculous weight loss. 
and put muscle on and not exercising. So I realized that there was something to this that was, was just too amazing to, to not share. So I started sharing with people around me and, and then people started changing their lives and they started sharing it. And it started making a ripple effect where people I didn't even know were getting into this. And I thought, well, I need to, I need to do a, um, a YouTube channel, I think. And so I just started a YouTube channel, you know, and uh, that was in August, August 7th. And I realized that, you know, being a first responder, I, I was, I worked in law enforcement for a while, uh, five years, and I did 20 years in the military. So I, I realized that the military and first responders are the warrior class of the West, right? We are. And we uh, don't like to show weakness. We don't like to share problems. We like to fix stuff ourselves. And, you know, you look to the guy and the gal to the left and the right, and they're doing it. So you're going to do it. You're just going to suck it up and drive on. And that's what we're taught to do. And that's what we do. But that combination with the standard American diet, I think, is causing to our higher suicide rates. Um, I mean, I have a theory. I think it has to do with, you know, serum cholesterol levels and people's taking impulsive actions and violent actions. You know, they've done a lot of studies on that. And um, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. But I know the brain's not working properly. And what's happening is people are taking permanent solutions to temporary problems. And uh, I think, you know, they're, they're committing suicide. And, you know, to be honest, uh, I've, I've got PTSD. I was, uh, I was depressed. I've been there. I've been on the edge. And I've lost more people that I know personally in the military to suicide than to combat. Far, many, far more. Uh, it's, it's terrible. So I decided to start this channel and dedicate it just to, you know, it's for anyone, but it's really geared towards first responders and, and veterans, uh, and active duty. And that's my, that's my, so that's why I try to, uh, you know, try to interview and gear stuff, you know, conversations towards, uh, that community. Uh, how can we get those people convinced to try something like this? Because, most of them don't want to be on drugs. They don't want to go to counseling. They don't want to go to a doctor. They don't want to fix it themselves. And if we can give them that tool and show them that it really works. So that's uh, that's my story. That's why I'm here. That's awesome, Larry. Uh, so we have another guest coming on here in a minute. But do you have a real quick question for the panel before you uh, you have to go? Yeah, I would I would just uh, ask you if you, you know, what would you recommend for first responders and and veterans, like how to get started on this, especially knowing that a lot of them, by the time they are neat, by the time they're, you know, pretty desperate, they're on a lot of medications, uh, antipsychotics, depression, whatever they're on. How do you transition to a carnivore diet when you're taking this, you know, VA cocktail? Yeah. So I was just going to, if I might jump in the, as I was going to ask you the very same question is, were you taking medications at the time when you decided to change your diet? Because that can be that can be problematic navigating the transition between a regular diet and a ketogenic or a carnivore diet the medications can cause problems and they need to be really closely monitored and adjusted so um if you've got people who are, who are on psychiatric medications who need guidance around that uh, transition phase then um, i have a free um uh, clinician directory specific it's 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 a international database you can search it we're trying to continue to grow it it's got maybe about 200 people on it now but uh, clinicians who can who 
are who use ketogenic diets specifically to treat mental health conditions. So you can look for prescribers on that list who might be in your area um, to, to help people with, with these transitions because that really is the, the yeah. most complicated piece of it. It's a very, very healthy diet. It's just in combination with, with medications uh, and certain health conditions, it can be tricky. That, that transition period can be tricky. That's great. And where can we find that? Do you have a website that um, has been shared that we can look at that for? Or? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. So it's it's on uh, the website's diagnosisdiet.com, which is the name of my website. And there's a, a the t there's a tab called directory, clinician directory. Carrie here for the Carnivore Diet Movie, and thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this Carnivore Diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get it on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www dot carnivore diet dot com and once you're there you can sign up for free to our email newsletter and once a week we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes uh, we'll tell you about new meetups we'll give you special invites and things like that completely free sign up there the other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder people have been loving these we offered them on our 24-hour live stream you can purchase these right on the website and every proceed every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary and the other thing we have there are the water bottles and the cutting boards they're completely customizable and you can engrave them Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. Just click on that and you can search it for free. All right. I will definitely share it with my veteran groups because that has been asked many times. And yeah. I, you know, I know it's a, a serious deal. It is. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Larry. Shout out Carnivore Soldier. We have a link in the description below. Larry's doing some great work for vets and uh, love your channel, Larry. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. Larry. I was just going to say one thing as well, Larry. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned about, about the, the serum cholesterol and so forth. I actually have come across studies and maybe you know Dr. Eid can uh, shed more light on this if she knows. But I, I have actually found studies that show that people with depression with lower LDL cholesterol had higher suicidality. Right, and so there seems to be some sort of connection there. Um, and uh, as as a as a very aside, you know, you were talking about how you, without lifting weights, you were putting on muscle and losing fat. There are a lot of people that say that you 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 have to either you're either bulking or cutting, you're either putting on fat and muscle, or you're losing muscle and fat. That you cannot put on muscle and lose fat. And and if that's the case, then why is it that I didn't change that I lost 23 pounds in 10 days, stopping vegetables right. and eating more meat? And then didn't lose a single ounce or change my weight an ounce for six months and yet went from being overweight to 6% body fat. How did that work exactly? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, it's just there's some silly things out there that people just repeat ad nauseum and then they just they just are, are taking his truth after that. Uh, so I just wanted to. to Thanks, Doc. And hey, if you guys are going to be at KetoCon, look me up. I'll be there.
Yeah, I'll be there. All right, see you there. Awesome. Thanks, Larry. Bye. Larry. Awesome. All right, next up we have Emily Penton. Emily is, speaking of positive deviance, Emily's amazing. She's got a great story. <laughs> Emily, could you share your story with us, please? Yeah, um, I had a debilitating mental illness. Um, I had bipolar disorder that turned into rapid cycling. Um, and I had my master's in clinical counseling. I was working in the mental health field, so that didn't really bode well for my career. Um, and so I, it became unethical where I was just like, okay, I don't know who I am from one day to the next. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and so I quit working and I moved in with my mom at the age of 40, which was just devastating to have my master's degree and then like, totally like out of work and homeless. And um, thankfully my brother reached out to me, told me about carnivore um, because at my most, I was on 900 milligrams of lithium, 80 milligrams of Prozac, 80 milligrams of Adderall just to get out of bed every day and then Ambien to sleep every night. Can you imagine what my organs would have done if I had continued that regimen? I had been on that for about eight years. And um, thankfully, my brother told me about the carnivore diet. So February 24th of 2019, I went overnight. I went away from the standard American diet, the cookies, the donuts, the pizza, the soda, the everything. And I only ate animal meat and animal fat. And I was very intentional about the fat. And then my last bipolar episode was April of 2019. I worked with my, I continued to work with my psychiatrist because he had seen crazy Emily. So I knew he was the only one who was going to be able to like, see if she comes back. And we stayed and we tapered off of all of my psych meds. Um, September of 2019 was my last psych med and I have been stable and now I help people all over the world, um, you know, to really break out of depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder. That's fantastic. That's <laughs> a great, thank you. Yes. Um, so my question for you guys would be, um, I have so many clients who come to me and they've tried carnivore and I ask them what they're eating and I see that they're eating very lean. Um, and I also, my, my, uh, my side effect of everything is I lost 120 pounds. Um, so for some reason people are eating very lean and then whenever they're coming to me for anxiety and depression, I always tell them to increase the animal fat. Um, and every single time, their depression gets better, their anxiety gets better. Why is the animal fat so effective? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, I don't think we know 100%. I mean, I can, I can, I can throw out some hypotheses and I, I'd love, you know, both of everybody else to chime in too. But part of it has, may have to do with the ratio of protein to fat in terms of supporting uh, the, the the ratio of the molecules that you're taking in that are building that are building molecules and the molecules they're taking in for energy and if you have that ratio correct and some people say it needs to be you know even two to one 
in terms of the grams of protein to the grams, the grams of fat to the grams of protein, a lot of people feel their best when they have that higher fat to protein ratio. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it, it is, it is more ketogenic that way, but, but, but you can, you can get into ketosis eating a, a low fat diet too, uh, as long as it doesn't have any carbohydrate or very little, but there seems to be, uh, so there, there are important nutrients and molecules in the fat they've been missing out on. There are nutrients in the fat. And so this is something that a lot of people don't think about. Um, who eat a standard diet, we think of fat as just, oh, it's just extra calories. All it's gonna do is make me gain weight. Um, they don't think about fat as containing vital nutrients. And uh, uh, we cannot live on protein alone. So it's partly at getting all the nutrition you need and partly that, that ketogenic ratio of fat to protein, um, especially for mental health, seems to be very important. And some people do need a, a relatively high ratio. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Uh, yeah, well, I, if I can jump in, um, I, I would just agree with all of that. And uh, I, what I point out to people is that you know fat is not just a calorie source. It is an essential nutrient. It's a conglomeration of essential nutrients. There are essential fatty acids that you have to have or, for optimal health, or, or you may even you know die. Uh, there are essential fat-soluble nutrients that you have to have or you'll be unwell and you can die. Uh, your brain is, is, is made out of fat, right? So 60, 70% of your brain, you have the physical structure of the brain is fat. That's a, and so, you know, DHA, EPA, these are major components of your brain. 20% of your brain is DHA. A large portion of your brain is cholesterol. So, you know, without the fat, cholesterol, and these, these fat-soluble nutrients, you, you simply cannot even build the physical structures of your brain and build and maintain them, let alone run them. Um, obviously, being being ketosis, I think we we would all sort of agree that that's that that's an optimal fuel for our brain as well. And um, you know, like like Dr. Reed said, you can certainly be in ketosis, but sometimes you know, eating more fat, you know, can can help that. But I think that uh, the major one is is uh, is nutrition. You know, your brain needs nutrients that are in the fat that we just we, we cannot get from anywhere else. I think that's a major major part of it. Yeah, and I'll I'll just add that um, I I think it's true that we've evolved to eat fat, and uh, we've been eating fat going back you know years and years way before we existed. So that's the first obvious answer. I think well, what I find is that I, I try to teach my patients that uh, there are you know you have your three macronutrients: fat, carbs, and protein, and you know. The fat is the most underutilized source of fuel that you could probably imagine. And I, and the analogy I made previously on a video was this ideal of a fuel tanker. And, you know, honestly, why, what's wrong with that, that fuel tanker driver? He continues to fill that little tank with what I would call starch and sugar and grains, right? And he keeps going to the gas station when he has all of that fuel sitting there. Why can't he use that fuel? So when I train my patients to eat keto or carnivore, I'm training them to utilize all of this energy, which is way more effective. If you take, uh, if you're trying to get energy out of glucose, the the number of ATP uh, or energy that you get from it pales in comparison to the amount of ATP you get from uh, like a, a short chain fatty acid, for example. So so, so the goal is to utilize this phenomenal fuel source so you'll feel better, have more energy, it's more efficient for your mitochondria, it's clean fuel, it's fuel that's like a, 
a solar panel versus like a, you know, a factory with all that smoke. And, and when you're talking about mental health, you have to get rid of all that crap mm -hmm. once you create it from glucose. Why not use fat fuel instead, which is more efficient? You don't have to buy products and your brain loves it. Now, there's things that Dr. Georgia East suggested we don't, we don't know. There's things about being in ketosis we don't fully understand. We just know when you're in ketosis and you're using fat as fuel, your body likes it better. So if we can convince people that fat's not the enemy and it's our friend, uh, I think that more people will benefit from using fat fuel. So we still have things to learn. But while we're learning, we don't have time to wait to get all the studies done. We need to heal people today. And we have enough anecdotal evidence and trials that are saying this is the best way to go for most people. Yeah, I really I really like that that tanker um, analogy. I, I've, I've sort of used clumsier versions of that. Um, you know, it was basically saying, you know, you go to the, you go to the gas station, you fill up your tank. And then instead of using that, you stick a cork in it and then just like pour gas in your tank. That's much more. That's, I, I like that one better. I'm going to have to start using that, but, but it's so true. You have all this stored energy and you're just not accessing it. And then you're going to this, this lesser tank and it's less, much less efficient. You have to fill up much more often. It, it's just, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Um, it, it is a uh, is a much better, you know, uh, way of of uh, you know, just just living your life. A really interesting way of looking at this was from Doctor uh, uh, Mike Leeds. I, I believe no relation, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, at um, the Metabolic Health Summit in uh, in San Diego last year, and he sort of he sort of said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we sort of flip and look at this in a different way." You know, we look at, at nine calories per gram in fat. Oh, my God, there's all these calories. You're going to put on fat. You're going to store all this energy. You know, but obviously calories don't weigh anything. This is this is a measure of heat energy, and we don't burn things. We're not a combustion engine. We're not a steam locomotive where we burn these things. We're chemical factories, and we, we use chemicals. And he sort of flipped it on his head and said, well, which, which of these calories weigh less? Because atoms have weight matter has weight calories don't have weight room temperature glass of water and a water heated up to you know 89 degrees weighs the same it has more calories but it weighs the same and so what he said was that fat has one gram per nine calories whereas protein and carbs have 2.2 grams per nine calories and so you have to you have to you have to eat more weight you have to put on more mass and more matter to get the same amount of calories. And obviously this doesn't go into the whole fact that amino acids are used as structural components and proteins and all these sorts of things and, and the hormonal uh, influences these all have. But just looking at this from just a gram perspective, there are less grams per calorie in fat. So it's a more efficient fuel as well. And you put on less weight as well. And so it's sort of an interesting way of thinking about that. Awesome, thank you guys. That makes so much sense. Thank, thank you, you, Emily. Boy. Huge shout out to, to Emily. Her, Emily yeah. Emily's channel is Inner Clarity System. The link is in the description below. And she's done so many wonderful interviews, really helping the hopeless for sure. Really inspiring stuff. Thank you so much, Emily. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Awesome. All right. Up next, Mr. Todd Bachness, the carnivore cure. How you doing, sir? How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. I just ordered that book. I'm really excited to get it. I've been thinking about that a lot. I was talking to Carrie about some of these uh, things we we're trying to connect the dots on, <laughs> mentally speaking. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess I'll just give a little uh, 
story or about my story here and then ask me a question. But yeah, long story short, I was, uh, I bought weight my whole life, uh, real extreme weight when I was, uh, 14 years old, I weighed 600 pounds and bought it my whole life, you know, and at my peak, when I found carnivore, I was north of 715 pounds. I was immobile for over two years. I had congestive heart failure. I just had COVID, uh, that caused congestive heart failure. I was on five liters of oxygen. Um, I couldn't get out of that chair. I was stuck in that recliner for over two and a half years. <clears throat> and But I had suicidal depression and anxiety, you know. And uh, I was fighting that real bad. Had have had anxiety, you know, since I was a kid. And uh, depression since I was a kid. And thank God I found key, or carnivore. <laughs> Started off as keto but went to carnivore. And that was a miracle for me. It got me off everything. You know, it's like I had reactive airway disease too since I was 18. Just healed everything up. I'm down uh, 262 pounds uh, as of today. Got my mobility nice. back. It's only been it's only been uh, 12 and a half months, by the way. Yeah, wow. Completely wow. I'm on no medication. I had uh, my calves. Both of my calves were over 36 inches in diameter with uh, edema, and completely. Uh, that's almost completely gone now. That's one of the last things. But I did it for weight and health, obviously. But what I wasn't expecting was. Only two and a half weeks into carnivore, my depression and anxiety disappeared like it never existed. And I could not remotely figure out, like, that was the first time that it dawned on me. And I got mad. I got real mad that nobody had ever told me this before because I spent a lot of money <clears throat> and a lot of years at doctors. And nobody ever said all I had to do was eat ribeyes for two and a <laughs> half weeks because I I almost took my life twice in my life very 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 mm -hmm. close to it and i've lost three friends to suicide in the last 18 months and yeah. i just it drives me crazy but so th that part i get and and just from being in this community now uh this long i know that anxiety and depression goes but during my weight loss journey here i had been doing OMAD for about nine months. Well, at about seven months, I had started under eating because I was my old diet mentality was trying to push me to get the weight off quicker. And I stalled out my, <clears throat> my energy crashed. And that was when I found the steak and butter gang and I started doing priming, which was great. I haven't hardly lost any more weight since priming, but I went down two shirt sizes. I feel amazing. But one thing that happened when I started priming and my body started healing, and this is my question is I was always, I was a, a, I was terribly addicted to gambling my whole life. I had a very addictive personality. Everything was 110% or nothing. There was no middle road for me on anything that I did. I uh, was addicted to nicotine. I was addicted to caffeine. I was addicted to sugar. I had an extremely addictive personality. After priming and doing carnivore, that's all gone. I even chewed Copenhagen for 26 years two cans almost a day for 26 years. And I wasn't planning on quitting on carnivore. My body didn't want it anymore. It told me I was quitting. And I quit cold turkey after 26 years of, of nicotine. I mean, I, I had such a bad nicotine habit, I'd have to sleep with it in my mouth or I couldn't sleep. Wow. I had to sleep with chew in my mouth or I couldn't sleep. And after 26 years, I quit just uh, last October 26th. And I don't have a single craving for it at all. Wow. And yeah. so I don't understand, but 
it's almost like the the severe i had like crippling anxiety i worried i mean it was just like a constant tormenting agitation all the time and i just i could never concentrate on any one thing everything i just felt behind and out of you know like everything was too big behind you know behind uh, didn't have enough time to do anything couldn't focus on anything that seemed to always trigger me to have a very addictive personality to do something you know and uh, even on past weight losses you know i've lost over 300 pounds twice in my life before and over 200 pounds twice in my life before just not eating you know i'd just starve uh because i didn't know what else to do but that was my personality everything was 100% this way or 100% that way like there was nothing in between now that's completely gone i don't have any compulsive whatever this is the first time in my life that i've never i quit gambling you know several years ago but it was only on carnivore that the urge went away that the that the monkey wasn't on my back anymore you know on carnivore the food monkey wasn't on my back anymore when people say how do you know you're not going to gain it back on carnivore and i'm like it's, it's simple every diet i've ever been on in my life it's like one of those movies where you're hanging on by the skinnier you know fingers on the edge of the building and you're about to fall you're losing the you know that's what every diet was like this diet i wake up i don't think about food ever i could care less and when i do crave something it's ribeye and i can <laughs> eat all that i want and i only get healthier when i do it i'm growing hair back but i lost when i was 22 years ago and my hair's growing back for crying out loud you know it's like i don't understand it but my question is is there a link to compulsiveness and addiction that's uh that's basically is it driven by is it driven by hormones is it you know because my my testosterone was terribly low before too my total testosterone was 237. so was it was it hormones or you know what is that link or was it the anxiety that was making me because i know the anxiety was the worst trigger but it, it's all gone i mean i can't even believe how free i am i'm not addicted to anything for the first time in my life and i'm 40 you know that, that's me. Can can I jump in and say something? <laughs> so, uh, just well. So, uh, con congratulations and just so so happy for you. Um, it's it's just miraculous, right? When when these kinds of things happen. It, so there, there's we're still trying to understand what this. There's going to be a very powerful connection between uh, between uh, compulsions, addictions, uh, people. People being interested in alcohol, in nicotine, in uh, in gambling, whatever the addiction is, a lot of that. And you know, when we think about it, what I, I mean, for years, even before I started studying nutrition, I used to say to my patients who were struggling with addiction, because you know, a lot of people do have an addiction of some kind, and say, you know, people aren't stupid; they do things for a reason. Like they start using these substances. Sometimes they start using them because they're experimenting when they're in high school or whatever, but but what keeps people using substances is that is the substances are useful. They're doing something important. They're stabilizing or balancing something that is dramatically out of balance and needs to be corrected. So, and that's how you can end up with you know, people, you know, on uppers and downers and you know, sleep medicine at night and some stimulant in the morning and something to relax in the afternoon and all, you know, an, an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And, you know, one thing after another gets piled on everything's, you're trying to stabilize something that's out of balance. And 
when you when you change your diet in these very particular ways, when you give the brain everything it needs and you stop giving it things that are that are destabilizing your brain chemistry, you know, sort of burning out your dopamine circuits and, you know, causing um, inflammation and oxidative stress and all kinds of damage inside the brain and and disrupting your GABA and glu- the, this balance in the neurotransmitters in the brain, GABA and glutamate, sort of the brain's gas pedal and the, the brain's brake pedal. All of that is thrown off when you're not eating the right way. If you're eating the right way, your your brain's operating system changes. It it, it the cells start working properly. Everything comes into balance, and you don't need those that 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 outside stimulation anymore because everything's okay. And so, like I noticed for myself when I did pure carnivore for and. and, and which I don't do right now, though I'm heading back in that direction gradually. I'm probably 95, 98, depending on the day, right? But there's a huge difference, and I'm curious what you think. There is a huge difference between even almost carnivore and actual full carnivore. There's a big difference and huge. huge. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's not, a, there's a, there's a cliff that you drop off of when you leave carnivore and go to regular keto. So, but, so I, you know, I've struggled with food addiction my whole life and weight and things like that. The only diet that has ever completely quieted my sort of preoccupation with food. That's kind of, a, you know, what am I going to have? What can I have next? What do I, you know, what, I wonder what I'm going to, you know, that sort of little voice that's there. Keto works wonders for that voice, but it doesn't completely quiet it. Only carnivore completely took that voice away. I used to think that was just who I was. So, you know, this is the thing is that these addictions, I think they're there for a reason. They're serving a purpose. And now you're giving your brain everything it needs and you've stopped injuring it with these things it doesn't need that are damaging. So your brain's okay now. You don't need those things anymore. I think it's just amazing. Your story is just amazing. Yeah, I was just, just gonna, oh, oh sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was yeah. just gonna I was just gonna just just add to that. Just what I when I see patients in clinic and they are making these transitions, they say similar things that there it, it doesn't seem to bother them as much. And and part of what I've seen is that they it's almost like when people struggle. Mm-hmm. I say, try to stay away from that stimulus that, so if it's a Dunkin' Donuts, just take another route. If you got to drive by Dunkin' Donuts, just take a different route. And what I learned from Dr. Joan Iflin is that those addictive neurons, they're kind of hanging out. They're still there. They're probably hanging out at Dunkin' Donuts. So if you stay away (laughs) from Dunkin' Donuts, they may not. And I think you clean your diet up so well that you've you've made your house a safe space. You've made, you know, maybe what your work environment a safe place. So what happens is I think your body is, is first of all, it has the proper fuel. It's doing just fine. You don't have all of those stimulants that normally would trigger you and you've removed them from your life. So even in a setting, when you finally get around those things, you're so kind of satisfied that you're okay. But I would dare, even today, I, I don't keep like um, peanuts on the counter. We have a rule in my house, don't have peanuts on the counter because that's a that's a trigger because I used to love peanuts, right? So even in my carnivore life, I don't want to see peanuts on the counter. So I think you've just cleaned up so much. You've removed the Dunkin' Donuts or you're going a different route. 
and your body is like, I'm, I'm good now. And But if you were to eat a little bit of those things, as suggested by Dr. E, that may put you in a different on a different cliff, a different situation that may then put you back on that rabbit hole. So, so I just think that's, that's a theory, but I think that's part of the explanation. I gotcha. Yeah. I was just going to say that uh, I did two and a half years of keto before I found carnivore and it did not work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was it like I, the depression was there. That's why I didn't think depression or anxiety had anything to do with diet. And with two and a half, I mean, all I was eating was ribeyes. Uh, and within two and a half weeks of just eating ribeyes and butter, uh, it was gone. And, and I mean, I even, even down to the point that I had to get rid of black, uh, black pepper. You know, I thought, oh, this couldn't be hurting anything. <laughs> I got rid of black pepper and it was like a switch turned. And every craving that I was just completely dominated by was gone. It was just gone. I mean... So, yeah, I definitely get that. I would say this, though. I think it's even more powerful because on, I wasn't able to clean up my environment because my mom, I take care of my mom. She's got dementia. And she's, well, at the time, she now she's carnivore, but she was eating like a, a dumpster fire. So there was brownies and cake and soda and pizza and everything all around me, you know, when I was going through that. So, uh, I, I, I actually, I feel almost impervious to cravings now because I, I, the only thing I'm addicted to now is feeling good and not having any addictions because, uh, life is so much better here, you know? So I, I, I love that. Here. I was going to say, Todd, I experienced the same thing, no addictions. And there's something really liberating <laughs> about that, that I never expected going into carnivore. It's really amazing not having any, any addictions whatsoever. So yeah. Thank you, Todd. Todd's at the Carnivore Cure. He's got an awesome YouTube channel. Helped out Bill not a lot, doing some really good interviews over there too. So everyone go check out Todd. There's a link in the description below. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. I was, I was just going to okay. add to some of that as well. It was just to, it was just to say that, um, you know, I've, I've noticed that as well. Uh, what Dr. You said, there's, there's a big drop off from, from carnivore to keto. And that, that's, I mean, people always say this to me is that, wow, you're so, you're so disciplined and this or the other because you only eat meat. I'm not disciplined. It takes zero discipline to do exactly what you want to do. And I have absolutely no interest in doing anything else because th th there is that drop off and I don't like it. And so even when like spices, I, I, we got some like, you know, biltong and which is like a South African sort of dried meat. It's delicious. But they, when they make it, if I don't make it, there's like these little seasonings on it. And I had some of that. It made me feel like, like crap for the rest of the day. I'm like, okay, I don't want that anymore. And even though it's delicious and it's almost entirely meat, just with a bit of spices, it didn't make me feel good. And so I don't want it anymore. So even that meat, I'm not going to eat that because it has some spices in it. And so, you know, that's why I, I sort of tell people like, you know, that getting with those last 5% of vegetables and plants gets, gives you 95% of the benefit. It's, it's such a huge difference. And that's really amazing. You just ate pepper, and that, uh, or, or took away pepper, and that made such a big difference. You know, I've seen I've seen very similar things too, and and I do know of uh, you know some studies that like in alcoholism, when people are withdrawn, like detoxing from alcohol in a hospital setting, that that you know different sort of groups would put them on a ketogenic diet and just a standard diet. The ones on a ketogenic diet actually had an easier time withdrawing from alcohol 
subjectively, they said it was easier. They didn't have as much, many, many cravings, but also objectively, they needed less benzodiazepines to keep them out of the DTs. And so that there's something going on there, as Dr. Eid said, where this is affecting your neurotransmitters and receptors that in a positive way, that's allowing your brain to work and function normally. So you don't need these substances in the first place to normalize yourself, which I think is amazing. And it's just something that I, well, it'd just be very interesting to see, you know, where that comes in the, in the literature to find the exact mechanisms uh, on how that works. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was nothing short of a miracle for me. I didn't see it coming. It just happened, you know, but yeah. Yeah. I sure appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Todd. Have a good night. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, Tony, like um, you talk about the peanuts on your counters. If my parents do carnivore, they've been doing carnivore for maybe six months less than I have. You know, uh, they sort of came on a bit after that. Um, same thing. You know, my, my dad just will will just if there's something sort of there, if there's like almonds or something like that, he's just used to just grabbing some almonds yeah. and eating them. And like he just doesn't even think about it. It was just it was just sort of grab them. And I mean, we were at um, a family function sort of within the first year that I sort of went on this. And my mom was putting out some like veggie platter. I mean, why would you? But she did. And, uh, you know, for other people to eat. And I remember just sort of walking around, you just automatic habits. I just picked yeah. up a piece of cauliflower of all things and just started putting it in my mouth, started chewing it. My mom's eyes went wide. So I kind of like, <laughs> like, started like, what? And she's like, you're eating poison. I'm like, Oh God, when I'm like spitting it out, <laughs> I'm like, it was just this automatic thing. You don't even think about it. You know, now I don't have those automatic reactions anymore, but it, it is, it's so easy, especially in the first little while that you just, you just see something. Oh yeah. And you just go into automatic pilot and you just, you just grab a handful of peanuts. You grab a handful of almonds. You have cauliflower. Like why cauliflower is this? Like it's never been appealing to me. It was just something to do. And you're just used to doing it. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting when you get out of those patterns of addictive eating or you're just, you're eating for the sake of eating, you're eating because you're bored and you want that sort of that tactile experience as opposed to like you, you need food, you know, which is very strange that we gone into, you know, that we can even get into that in the first place, but, uh, it's very nice to be outside of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And just, and, and it's like going to the theater, uh, you know, it's hard to go to the theater without popcorn, right? I mean, it's a big, I know you're in the theater, Carrie, and, and thankfully yeah. you have some, you know, carnivore snacks. Uh, it's hard yeah. to go to a Cubs game in Chicago without getting a hot dog, right? So so it's just social, it's cultural. And, and I think once we kind of change the culture, and we've done that in our family, so we kind of know what that plate's going to look like. It's different, but it took years to get to, and, and, and it started with the emotion of my mom being upset because I'm not eating her dressing. I mean, she really was like, you can have a little because she put love in that dressing. So it takes a, takes a while to get past that. And now she now she knows I don't want my baby, she still calls me her baby. I don't want my baby to be sick at night holding his stomach because if I eat her dressing, I'm going to be up at two in the morning. So so she's kind of compromised and, and that's where we are, but it takes time. Yeah. Let's say, Carrie, that with, with your your movie theater are you you poisoning people with popcorn or what are you, guys, what are you guys I, lo I love that this came up um yes but we have uh we have pork rinds and grass-fed beef sticks but i love that oh, you I said that dr hampton because that was prior to carnivore 
every single night I tried the popcorn because I was just I wanted to make sure it was good for the customers. So I've had to like physically that's, that's restrain. Why. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. I just yeah. want to make sure quality control. I just want to make sure for them. Right. For them. Right. Yeah. I haven't had a single kernel of popcorn in what 315 days now. So. Cool. But nice. it is it is hard, man. It smells good still, but <laughs> well, some butter that smells good though, right? You know, right. so just just drink the butter. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, and I know how I'll feel if I have any of that popcorn. So I love it. drinking butter. What's up, everybody? <laughs> hey, Speaking of drinking butter, JT, welcome. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> nice seeing you again, Doctor Chafee, Doctor Tony, and Thank nice seeing you, Doctor Eid. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. I love All the right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just a brief background on, on how I got to carnivore. I was in the music scene, and along with that comes a lot of bad decisions. Uh, I was going to a lot of parties. I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a lot. I was eating all the bad foods. And that led me to having terrible, terrible IBS. Mm. And I couldn't even perform anymore on stage without my gut just feeling horrible. And I could tell that my gut problem was leading to depression because I felt so alone, you know, like there's, there's hundreds of people, you know, having a good time, they're dancing to my music and it, it felt good, but I just, it felt like nothing when I was just, I felt like crap and I felt alone up there and I, I had to quit. And I, I, I left that whole scene. I left all those old friends and it, it kind of got worse because I, I was just by myself then. And I said, I got to do something. So I, I quit the soda. I quit the beer. And I started losing a little weight, but I still was just terribly depressed. And my life ended up being in a tub. I was just in the tub all the time with my stomach and uh, my back. I had three, I have three discs in my back. They're out of alignment from a prior accident. And um, so I always just had to lay in a tub to feel good. And I suppose the, the eating the food wasn't helping and all that, but I got to a point where I was just living in this tub and my world was so small. And I don't feel like that word depression really can describe how dark of a place that me and other people have been in. You know, it's just a word and it, it never can describe how dark things can get. And Luckily, though, my coach says that the worst things that happen to you in your life set you up for the best things that ever happen to you. And I've, I'm a firm believer in that because I found Carnivore and I was subscribed to Carrie's channel and I saw him start doing Carnivore and he was jumping around like a seven year old. And I said, wow, what the heck happened to this dude? He was huffing and puffing in all his videos before and now he can't sit still. So I said, I want some of that action bad right now. And so I just cannonballed right into Carnivore. And the first seven days were kind of rough with the cravings. I wanted everything. I wanted Kit Kat bars. You know, I wanted Pizza Hut. It was terrible. But after I got through that first week, I felt so good. And then after my first 30 days, on day 27, I stopped smoking cannabis. Um, my sleep apnea went away. My IBS went away. My depression went away all within the first 30 days. I was a completely brand new person by the next month. And it just, I'm, I'm just forever grateful for hearing about the carnivore diet. So that's why I appreciate all of you on this panel right now for helping get that word out. Cause I know it's going to change someone else's life and they can get out of that, that dark cloud that some of us live in with depression and anxiety. 
Thank you. Hey, JT, do you think, uh, should we tell them what we did this weekend too? Do you think we would have done that while we were depressed? No, yeah. I, I wouldn't have felt good enough to even make the two-hour drive to you. I would have needed a toilet every 15 minutes, man. I'm just, you know. J just real quick, JT and I, uh, this on Saturday, he came over and we went knocking on doors of strangers' houses, asking if we could go inside and cook them a carnivore steak dinner. And <laughs> we just did a video. The video's on the channel. So it was it was entertaining, right, JT? Yeah, it was, it's our second family that we found that they're crazy enough like us that they let us into their house. We cook them a steak dinner and we get to make a connection and meet these people and um, put them on to how we're feeling, you know, because when you feel so good like this, I feel like you want other people to have the same thing. And that's important to me to share that. It sounds like the beginning of like a true crimes episode or something like that. You know, these people would like get in their house and say they'd cook them a nice dim dinner when they got in, they tied them up and killed them. We did a live stream just before Dr. Chafee and I said at the end of the live stream, if you don't hear from us in like three or four hours, send someone looking for us. Yeah, so maybe maybe check the jail, you know, if we're going around. <laughs> Very sweet family though. Behavior. They were, they yeah. were great people and it's, it's so worth it because Azael, the guy uh, we met, he wasn't feeling good. And he's, he was, he started kind of like me, he started cutting out the alcohol and the soda, but he's not feeling good. I was like, that's because we're still eating the junk brother. Like, you know, you can cut out alcohol, you can cut out soda. Carrie here for the carnivore diet movie. And thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this carnivore diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get in on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. And once you're there, you can sign up for free to our email newsletter. And once a week, we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes. Uh, we'll tell you about new meetups. We'll give you special invites and things like that. Completely free. Sign up there. The other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size Redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder. People have been loving these. We offered them on our 24-hour live stream. You can purchase these right on the website. And every proceed, every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary. And the other thing we have there are the water bottles, and the cutting boards. They're completely customizable and you can engrave them. Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. But if you're still eating the junk, you're just you're just setting yourself up for failure in, in my opinion. So we have to, you know, and carnivore totally helped me change my paradigm. You know, you were talking about grabbing the, the pecans and stuff. Like I, I don't have those types of cravings anymore for any junk and it's so liberating. So, and it's a paradigm shift that needs to be made. And without changing your paradigm, you're just going to keep having those same routine actions that you always have, you know, eating to eat and, sabotaging yourself with how you feel absolutely Definitely. all right jt do you have any questions for the panel absolutely now before i ask ask my question i have to put on the proper hat <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh this is my dad's hat dr tony i put it on for you buddy i appreciate um, you man <laughs> my question i had you know it's 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 important to me because i feel like 
my gut health led to my depression. And so I just wanted to ask, how does gut health rate relate to mental health? And um, how can nutrition impact that relationship? Because um, it's so important to me. I feel like that's, that's what led me down that road. So if you guys could talk about that, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think all three of us will have something to say about that. It's, it's, um, you know, that's your first defense. Your, your gut lining is your first defense against the outside world. And so when you swallow a food and it goes down this tube through your stomach and then this tube, it's still not in your body yet. It's still outside your body when that's inside. <laughs> so, it, and then the, the, and the cells that line your intestines and, and the microbiome too helps with this, they break down the food and then they decide what's going to get in what's and what should stay out, what needs to just keep traveling along towards the exit, right? So that's your first barrier. And it also the membranes and uh, everything's got to be nice and healthy for this to work properly. If you, if, if, if your gut isn't healthy, especially the lining, the lining of your gut isn't healthy, um, then the wrong things are going to get through. And so you're going to absorb things that you shouldn't be absorbing, and you might not be able to extract everything from food that you need. So you might not be getting in everything you need, and you might be getting too many things that you don't need. Crossing, that is, is basically your defenses are breaking down. So then everything can just kind of wander in willy-nilly <laughs> into your bloodstream, and the bloodstream, the blood flows through the brain, and, and, uh, and as, as these, as these, um, potentially risky molecules that aren't supposed to be getting into your bloodstream, they're, they're circulating through your brain, they can damage the blood-brain barrier, which are the which is supposed to protect the inside of your brain from anything potentially risky that's in, that's in your bloodstream. So uh, anything that can break down your gut lining can also break down the lining of the blood-brain barrier. So just everything kind of becomes, you, you don't have your natural protections in place. And then, you know, the, the other thing is that, uh, and this is, I think, less well understood, and it's not really the focus of my work, but the microbiome, too, plays a role in breaking down your food and deciding, you know, um, it's, part of, it's a part of that barrier. And if you're not eating properly, parts of the microbiome, the wrong parts can die off, and you can get this imbalance in, in, your, in your gut bacteria that could also be playing a role, you know, in, in how you feel. And everything is communicating with everything else. So the microbiome and every part of your body is communicating with the brain, with chemical signals and directly through the nervous system, through this giant nerve, the vagus nerve that goes, connects your brain to your gut and through hormonal signals and neurotransmitters. So everything is sending a signal to your brain saying something isn't, isn't right here. And if you get inflammation down here and all kinds of things down here, you will also have it in the brain as well. So that everything's so connected that it's difficult for the brain to be healthy if some other part of your body isn't. So a lot of people who have gut issues also have brain issues. There's a really strong, these often go hand in hand and it kind of makes sense that they would. Um, and I think there's still a lot to learn about this, but um, so many of my patients will say, well, my depression began after a course of antibiotics, or my anxiety began, you know, after I had that that gut surgery or whatever it was. That some that that the gut seems to go first for a lot for a lot of people, um, but that that's probably not enough of an answer. Um, <laughs> other people want to chime in with with other other pieces of the of the puzzle. I'll I'll just add, um, and now having the same gut problem that you had. 
and Carrie had, we all are kind of brothers from another mother and it was not very fun at all. Always as you, and you kind of joked about taking that trip, but honestly, when I took trips anywhere, I had to think about the bathrooms. That was like what you had to do. If I was speaking somewhere, I had to think about the bathroom. So it was very frustrating. So I've always been intrigued by this question as well. And I, you know, when I was doing my uh, vegetarian years uh, for about eight years or so, you know, uh, you know, I was really trained that those short chain fatty acids, uh, which are basically, you know, uh, your microbiome, you know, your microbiome actually, you know, you know, produce fermentation products from fiber that'll then help protect your gastrointestinal tract in theory, although we know fiber can irritate your gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. But if you think about something like beta hydroxybutyrate, which is one of the ketones, if you're in a ketotic state, you're likely to have an abundance of that. So uh, it kind of helps to explain why the microbiome, which may be completely different for a person who's plant-based versus a person who's more carnivore, but it doesn't matter because that carnivore is getting all of this short-chain fatty acid, which is protecting the line of the intestine anyway. So because I always was intrigued by why is my belly so much happier with the ribeye and the ground beef and things like that. And I think part of the explanation is that you're getting short-chain you know, fatty acids, not from fiber and fermentation, but you're getting it from your diet. So if you can get it that way, that's kind of, let's cut out the middleman and just <laughs> put it in the gut that way. And I think that's, so again, we're still learning, we're still growing. There's not a ton of research that we can lean on in the microbiome space because some of that research is not in the test tube, it's not done on humans. And but but for me and what I've seen in my research, when I was asking the same question, that's what I kind of came to the logical conclusion is that we get our short-chain fatty acids from a different source than the person who's eating fiber. And if I eat fiber, uh, thank God we're virtual, right? Because there will be a problem in that. <laughs> that's my that's my thoughts on that topic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not too uh, well versed in the, sort of the, the gut brain connection as far as you know serotonin and the different neurotransmitters and things like that. But I, I don't know if that's something that that Dr. Eden knows more about. But uh, just exactly the same sort of thoughts that that both Dr. Eden and Hampton had, which is you know you're you're going to you're going to see problems in your gut first and foremost if you're eating the wrong thing. You're going to get upset stomach. You're going to have uh, these sorts of manifestations in in uh, your GI system first when you're eating something inappropriate. And then that, of course, is going to have knock-on effects into the rest of your body. And so if you're eating the wrong thing and that's damaging your gut, that's going to get chemicals into your body that's going to damage the rest of your body. You're not going to be getting specific nutrients that you have to have for your brain and your body. You're, you're going to get harmful chemicals that can get in either, you know, be they man-made or nature-made that can harm you. I mean, you know, I, I, I harp on about you know, the, the different sort of defense chemicals that plants have, because this is something that they should not be ignored. This is something we've known for millennia. You know, we, we've known about toxins in plants. We killed Socrates with hemlock. We had different sorts of poisons from plants. We knew these things were toxic and we, we had different ways of, of reducing the toxic load in the food that we ate by fermentation, by cooking, by uh, different sorts of uh, processes like nishtamalization for uh, corn all these different sorts of things that we did and we've just completely thrown by the wayside because all plants are good. Everything's perfect. If it's a plant, of course that's wrong. And so we need to be aware of that. Plants make about a million different defense chemicals. 
And we need to be aware of that. And, and they exist in spinach as well as in hemlock. But we've also patented about a million different novel chemicals since the 1970s. What the hell do these things do? And what are they going to do to our bodies? So, you know, just, just eliminating out all these different sorts of random chemicals that may or may not be appropriate for us. You, know, you, just, you just cut out to base, basics. Just put in your body what is designed to put in your body. Try to keep everything away as much as you can. And in general, that's going to improve your health and your mental health as well. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing is you change your gut, you can change your life. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I appreciate those answers because that gut health is just, it's been, uh, it's been one of the biggest things for me to overcome. It uh, it was, it had me in such a low vibration all the time that I feel like I finally conquered that. And just quick question, Dr. Tony, did you ever, did it ever get you kind of anxiety and, or depression with your gut health or? Um, I think it was like, I was fortunate. Uh, I think I had more anxiety when uh, I had a lot of real estate and things weren't going well, (laughs) but, uh, but in terms of like my diet, um, I didn't, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. I don't think I realized that I wasn't as, uh, in a good mood or I was, uh, struggling mentally because I, I thought it was norm. So, but once I started to eat this way, um, how I interacted with my team was different. How I interacted with my spouse and my kids was different. So, so I think that it was there it was just, it was like a, a very low level depression uh, that I think we all kind of suffer through because life can be challenging. And then I'm like, I'm just like a, you know, beep beep. I'm like the, you know, but you know, bugs, I'm, I'm just a completely different guy now. And, and so I think that's my version of it. Um, and I, I can't explain how, you know, you just feel like you've been freed somehow. Uh, and I know Carrie talks about this a little bit. And you're just able to give the world so much more of you. Um, and I just, it, it, it just, it makes you feel so good. And I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better, re, you know, direct, you know, director and leader in my health system, better doctor. And when patients see me, if I'm not that person, they notice immediately because they've become accustomed to this energetic doctor who's delivering and giving all this information, talking about nutrition and, and all the other things we need to talk about. And, and, and I want to continue to deliver that not only to uh, for their benefit, but for my benefit so that I can actually continue to do this work and don't feel like it's a burden. And, and I just love, so I, I appreciate that question. And I really appreciate that Bear's hat. That's that's really what it's all about. <laughs> well, I suppose now you're feeling better. You can handle a bad uh, season from the Bears. Right? You're not going to get as bad. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much what to expect. But we're going to hang in there. <laughs> uh, I, I love giving you crap. Uh, and I, I appreciate the whole panel and you guys taking time to hear my story and uh, answer my questions. I really appreciate you guys. And, before you go, go JT, Likewise. before you go, JT, I've got a question for Dr. Ede. Yeah, sure. So you, you commented on his hat before that you liked it. Can you comment on the new one? I'm pleading the fifth here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, if I don't see cheese on your head, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm a Packers fan. This is my dad's hat. He's uh, from Milwaukee, but he likes to give. 
Yes, my dad is, uh, he was born and raised in Milwaukee, but he's a Chicago Bears fan because he likes to fight with everybody in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> so I told him, I said, let me borrow your hat. I, I'm going to be having Dr. Tony, uh, you know, getting to talk to him. So I said, I want to give him some crap and have some fun. So. <laughs> but I appreciate you, Dr. E. Uh, nice meeting you. And uh, Dr. Tony, Dr. Uh, Chafee, appreciate you guys. Adam. Thanks. Thank you, JT. Shout out, JT. There's a link in the description below to JT's channel, Poco Moonshine Family. He's doing yeah. a lot of good interviews with other carnivores. See you, buddy. Let's go. Good See you. Bye. Awesome. We have one more guest. Jeff DeProsperous. How's it going, sir? Yeah. Very good. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Looking good. Sounding good. How you doing? Awesome. Thanks. Uh, I'm doing all right. A little bit of a panic. I had a little bit of technical difficulties and I had a, I had a busy, busy day, uh, but I'm here and I've listened to this entire event on and off uh, with my technical difficulties the entire time. So I just want to say uh, hi to Dr. Ede. Uh, it's a pleasure yeah. meeting you. Likewise. Um, I haven't ventured into your book yet, but uh, it's on my uh, read list now. Uh, so Thank you for having me on. I want to say hi to Dr. Hampton and Dr. Shafee. You're like my uh, two favorite YouTube uh, doctors. So I'm really uh, privileged uh, to be on with you guys. And once again, and Adam and Carrie, uh, you guys are my YouTube best friends. You guys know that. So uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for coming, Jeff. We're looking forward to hearing your story. All right. Yeah, Is it my turn now? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I just want to say hi to my subscribers too, uh, because I was trying to get this uh, stream from my channel and I don't really care as long as it's being streamed from somebody's channel. Right. And uh, it was on everybody's channel because we just got to get the message out, but just apologize. And I was trying to, and I told them in a panic, just tune into carrier Adams channel uh, to catch this. And uh, we're smooth sailing now. So I just want to say hi to my subscribers. Um, I'm going to introduce myself a, a different way. Uh, I know Dr. Anthony Shafee knows and Tony Hampton knows I, I have a new mantra. So I introduced myself a little bit different, Carrie and Adam, but to Dr. Ede. Um, and I'm not going to do it like the way I normally do it, Carrie. I'm going to introduce myself as a human being. Uh, my name is Jeff, uh, Jeff DeProsperous, and uh, I am a father of two sons. Uh, Peter and Dante, they're, they're teenagers, 15 and 13. And I have a beautiful wife that I've been married to for 24 years. Uh, sorry, we've been together for 24 years. We've been married for 17 years. Um, I have a mother, I have a sister. My father just passed away like four months ago. Um, I am really tight with family. I love my family. Um, I've been a high school phys ed teacher for uh, 21 years. Um, I am a former varsity soccer player. Uh, so I, I really relate to Dr. Anthony Shafee because he's a, he's a big time athlete and I always wanted to be a professional athlete. Um, I played university soccer for two Canadian universities, um, in my, uh, graduate year as a teacher, uh, at one of the universities, we won a national championship uh best team in canada and i i was very privileged to be on that team uh, and i won and i was rewarded an academic all canadian uh playing on that team um 
I'm very passionate about, uh, I have a kinesiology degree, uh, four-year kinesiology and physical education degree. So I'm very passionate about health and fitness and well-being, and I always have been. Um, like I said, I've been a phys ed teacher for 21 years. And um, in terms of me venturing onto the carnivore diet, uh, that happened about 22 months ago. Uh, I was diagnosed with a disease that many people uh, classify as a genetic mutation. But um, I've heard you guys talking about metabolic uh, diseases, and that's exactly what I believe my disease is, a metabolic disease. So I've been approaching it that way through the helps of many uh, friends of mine. Um, in particular, a shout out to my, my very close friend, Dwight Garlow. Um, I call him Medicine Man. He lives uh, very close to me in my hometown. He's a, he's a friend. He's a, he's a coaching colleague. Um, and through the helps of Carrie, uh, especially Carrie, I've been able to uh, connect to the YouTube world. And I'm very, very blessed to be connected to the YouTube world. And all these doctors that I've been following for the past 22 months while I've been a carnivore, uh, such as Dr. Anthony Shafee, uh, Carrie introduced me to Tony Hampton, uh, Sean Baker, um, a whole bunch more, Ken D. Berry. Uh, even Dr. Paul Saladino, even though he drives me a little bit nuts when he eats fruit. So I always shout out to him. Uh, but Carrie, uh, I'm very blessed, uh, to have met him and even Adam, and they've made me part of their, um, documentary that I think we're all really excited for coming out, Healing Humanity. And, uh, yeah, so I've been, uh, a carnivore for about 22 months, uh, because I have stage four colon cancer um, mm -hmm. that has fully, fully metastasized to the liver. Um, the diagnosis was kind of shocking uh, about 24 months ago in April of 2022. Um, I was deemed inoperable, incurable, uh, terminally ill, palliative, given months to live without treatment. Um, with treatment, I think Sean Baker reminds me all the time that if you Google it, it's nine to 12 months uh, with good treatment. But here I am 22 months later. And in terms of mindset, uh, that plays a huge role in my treatment uh, today, part of my regimen. And I did struggle with a little bit of depression, anxiety, and uh, sleep apnea right before I diagnosed myself. Um, but there's also things here in Southern Ontario, Canada, where I'm from, uh, that have affected me probably for the past 15 to 20 years. Um, everybody knows of SAD, seasonal affectionate disorder. I've, I've been a victim of that, uh, probably for the past 15 years. And, and it. It's probably uh, many reasons. I'm not a big fan of winter, but also the lack of uh, vitamin D. Um, I've realized uh, that I do supplement with quite a bit. Even though I am a carnivore, I do supplement because my medicine man, Dwight, says uh, the chemotherapy that I've had 38 rounds of chemotherapy really depletes all my cells of all the special vitamins and minerals that uh, normally uh, partake in a cell. So I try to, I'm trying to attack this the metabolic way. Um, 
where the mitochondria has been disrupted and I'm trying to fix that mitochondria. So uh, Dr. Ede and uh, Dr. Shafee, Dr. Hampton, I hope I introduced myself enough. Um, sorry for talking so much there. Uh, well, that, that's, that's an amazing story, man. It's, I, you know, every time I hear it, I, it's, um, you know, it's just, just uh, more and more powerful to me. And, and I really appreciate you, you know, making your channel and putting yourself out there for other people to see, you know, because I was literally just talking to uh, someone today and they were saying that their uh, father-in-law has a stage four colon cancer, you know, and then basically his, his doctors are saying, there's nothing you can do. Food doesn't matter. Just drink beer, eat chicken wings. It doesn't matter. And so, why? Why, pretty, why would yeah. you do that? You know, I mean, I even actually, even if, yeah. yeah, well, even even if you didn't understand about this stuff, why would you tell people to be unhealthy and do things that are knowingly unhealthy? Of course, that's going to give you a, a worse outcome. You know, of course, it's going to make your your body less able to fight this thing off and and to and to weather the chemo and radiation. So, it's it's pretty appalling when you hear that. And so, it's it, I really appreciate you coming out and. You know, it's telling your story so that people can look at that and go, hey, there is something I can do. They don't have this defeatist ad, uh, uh, mentality from their doctors sometimes that probably has their best interest at heart saying that, look, this is a really bad situation. Just enjoy your life. Have beer, have it. But people aren't asking, hey, does food matter? Because I really want to go and party. And that's what I want to do. That's not what they're asking. They're saying, does food matter? Can it affect my outcome? Can I help this get better? But, you know, some people hear that and say, like, yeah, just go party, go to Ibiza and just, you know, just go wild. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it does matter. And so they hear that and they go, there's nothing I can do. This is hopeless. And so, you know, I think you give a lot of people a lot of hope. And uh, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Dr. Shafee. Uh, and I hope that person you were talking to is listening tonight because I, I just want to say to them, um, the doctors kind of told me that too. Have a beer mm. when you want to. Eat what you want. They told me all that right from the start, uh, a few of them. So I didn't really listen to them. Uh, and you got to, and Carrie, Carrie Mann always says, you got to take things into your own two hands. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm curious, Jeff, if you could just briefly speak to not just the fact that you've added all of these months of life and all of this time with your family. And I can only imagine, I've seen your channel and the things you share. But could you just speak a little bit about not just longevity, but the quality of your life, what it's like to eat this way and what it means in terms of what you can do now that you may, most people in this situation, if, they, if they're here, can't do. Yes, that's a, that's a very good uh, question, Dr. Hampton. And, and I, uh, the word longevity, uh, I actually was going to bring it on to Dr. Shafee's podcast tomorrow morning. It's morning for me. I think it's going to be night for you, Dr. <laughs> Shafee. So I'm going to go to bed thinking about you and I'm going to wake up thinking about you and then we're going to be on. So <laughs> um, the longevity thing, because I look at, and when you ask that, Dr. Hampton, I look at like not only, you know, when I ventured into the carnivore diet for the purpose of healing me um, in terms of my disease, I started to really understand the benefits uh, of, of living, um, living, living a life uh, with longevity and purpose and meaning. Um, so, you know, I, and I started, you know, even, even when I 
listen to people like uh, Sean Baker or Anthony Shafee and, and they have, uh, they talk about their workout regimens or their, 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 you know, and why they're doing it. Um, from a scientific point of view, it makes, it makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense and, and why um, at all the regimens that I'm doing, um, it's helped me. And this is going to sound really weird, but uh, I, even though I do have stage four cancer and I'm terminally ill, I've said this before, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. And I, I feel like I, I'm a varsity soccer player. I'm trying, I was talking to someone last night that's playing like in adult league soccer. And I'm like, I've been, I'm trying to get in. And I, I, I don't think people are inviting me because I think they're like, oh, Jeff's, Jeff's dying of cancer. Uh, I don't know if he, like, I'm ready to play. Like, as long as my port on my chest doesn't get, even if it does get out of bed, it, they can fix it. You know what I mean? I, 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 I want, I want to get on the pitch. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've been coaching a lot, uh, volunteering. Uh, I'm still loving, I would love to go back to, to being a phys ed teacher. That's my passion, but I'm blessed right now with the life I'm living with my, with my family, my, especially my two sons. I'm very, very blessed that I'm in their life. Like today, uh, Peter came with me and, and by the way, today, this morning, I had hyperbaric oxygen treatment out of town, actually close to Toronto, Canada. So it's about an hour away. So Peter wrote his last exam. He's in grade 10. He came, he hung out with, with dad today. And, you know, we, uh, we went for hyperbaric chamber treatment. Then we went out for a carnivore lunch. Um, and then we did a few things. Uh, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're sneakerheads. So we went and looked at a bit, bit of a few shoe shopping at the mall. Um, and then we booted home. Uh, I was able to drive Peter to then soccer practice tonight. And that's where I was kind of communicating with Carrie and Adam and I made it home on time to be on this channel. So in terms of that's my, that's my longevity, like that's my life. That's what I'm doing day to day and I'm not stopping. And the carnivore diet has allowed my mind to be very clear and focused and scheduled and regimented and disciplined. And then in, in, in essence from that, and I think maybe Dr. Eat could probably expand on this because my mind is now so strong and I'm, and I'm basing it a lot on the carnivore diet, my body's starting to respond to it too. And my energy level steady. Um, I'm in, I think I'm in and out of therapeutic ketosis and just normal ketosis. I, I, I'm not carb dependent at all because, uh, I avoid that a lot, uh, um, as much as possible. What really strikes me is your ability to be in the moment right now, enjoying enjoying your life in this. Carrie here for the Carnivore Diet Movie, and thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this Carnivore Diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get in on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. And once you're there, you can sign up for free to our email newsletter. And once a week, we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes. Uh, we'll tell you about new meetups. We'll give you special invites and things like that. 
completely free. Sign up there. The other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size Redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder. People have been loving these. We offered them on our 24 hour live stream. You can purchase these right on the website and every proceed, every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary. And the other thing we have there are the water bottles and the cutting boards. They're completely customizable and you can engrave them. Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. This moment, I mean, for all we know, uh, you could live longer than I do. I just don't have... I don't, nobody's telling me how much longer I might live just because they've, you know, they've, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, you've decided to live now and, and to live your best life in the healthiest way possible to be with your family and, you know, to give them the best of you and to give yourself the best of you, uh, regardless of, you know, what other information might be coming in from, from doctors and, whatever other treatments you may be requiring, I think it's just really a huge testament to your character. Um, you know, there are so many people who, if they were faced with a diagnosis like this, would just give up. And how, you know, what, what you've done is you've turned it, you've, you've turned, you've turned your life into this beautiful, I mean, I, I just am really, really moved by your story because it really does say something about who you are there are so many people who would just take that diagnosis and give up and how does that help anybody how does that help your family uh you know all of us want to be our best selves uh regardless of you know of our health status or how old we are or what diagnosis we may be living with i mean i think it's just amazing and you can hear the wellness in your voice that's the thing i mean most people who are you know who are who have a serious diagnosis a medical diagnosis there, you don't hear that joy, that 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 just love of life and love of your family in your voice like this. It's just you can feel it, and so you're doing something right. <laughs> that that you know clearly from looking all these comments here in, in the thread is really moving to people. Is really you're you're giving of yourself to others, uh, everything you have, and. You know, I I think that that's that's going to be healing as well. I think it's really therapeutic, not just for everybody else, but for you too. Thanks, Doctor Ida. Just listening to you, uh, I tried to hold back there because you got me a little bit teary-eyed, and Carrie's seen it before, but I held back, and you made me smile. Um, thank you, Doctor Ida, uh, for recognizing that. I just uh, I see the world as it, my eyes see the world as a different place now, um, and everything that you know any stresses in the past, they don't affect me anymore. Um, and I'm learning to um, just enjoy life and keep my cells healthy and calm. Um, I'm trying my best every single day. So I think, um, and thank you for saying I, I, I sound and look pretty good. I, I think I, I feel good, I look good. I, I, I remember back when I first did my first video and it was the 24 hour live event. And um, Dr. Shafee, you gave me, uh, you, you, you spoke to me uh, at that live event after viewing my, my video I sent to Carrie. And you said, there's going to be people out there in the world that are going to try to go at you still. 
and negative people. And I just got to try to, to block those people out. And you know what, the, at the beginning of me, you know, especially going off work, everybody was pretty empathetic, sympathetic. Uh, but now it's like, you know, it's, we live in a horrible place sometimes where people like human beings, human, it's human nature to judge. And, you know, I, I, there's even people I, I hear and I try and I try not to keep it in my head too long. There's even people at my school that think I'm faking cancer because I, because I, because I've, I've been told this because I look so healthy and I'm, I'm going with, you know, I'm going on vacation with my family and I'm doing push-ups and I'm exercising and I'm doing this. And this is the kind of thing that when we're here to talk about, you know, depression, anxiety, and mindset, I, I, I remember what Shafi said, and I just, I forget about those people and I don't care about those people and I, and I avoid those people, right? Because I don't need those people in my life right now. And they want me, those people, I, I don't know if they want this, but I feel like they think I should be weak. I should have no hair. Um, I should be withering away, losing weight not being able to get out of bed. I think that's the stigma they put on someone that has the disease I have. So, you know, it's Dr. Shafi, I'll never forget that advice you gave me from the beginning. Um, it, it, there's been the odd person on YouTube, my, like my subscribers wanted, but Carrie said, those people are probably like AIs. They're not even real people making comments, hmm. but um, mostly everybody uh, has been not only am I helping a lot of people, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving tons of emails. Carrie knows it, like emails a day, messages a day that I'm helping people with stage four cancer, which that's what, that's why I made my YouTube channel. And, um, it, but it's good for me. Then they, they give me comments about, you know, how inspirational I am and everything. And it's good for my mindset. So I try to surround my world with all those types of people, um, to keep it going. And Dr. Reed, I, you know, I, 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 sorry, Carrie, is it question time now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I drive Carrie nuts because I take over his job. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing good. Go for it. Uh, like Dr. Ede, um, I've been trying to really work on mindset and JT was just on and I think uh, he's got a, he speaks of a coach all the time. So I try to bring these coaches in my life. And I've been listening to Bob Proctor lately, and that happens to be JT's coach, and he was all very excited about that. And that was just by fluke. I've been I've been seeing a, a Wim Hof instructor um, who's working on breathing with me, which that's all connected in terms of like your brain and your nerves. And we're working on uh, my vagus nerve, uh, the fight or flight response, you know, cold plunging and stuff like that. Um, can you speak to? scientifically like am i doing the right thing is it is it um am i doing the right thing and trying to keep my you know the vagus nerve connects from your your brain i believe throughout your whole body and and um trying to calm those cells uh is there any more i can do to add on to that yeah so what you're what you're doing is you know the, the brain is listening the brain doesn't just listen the food, it also listens to every other aspect of your environment and you're doing all of these wonderful things to, to improve the quality of every aspect of your environment. So you've got good relationships, good people around you, you're blocking out the people, you know, ignoring the people that are, you know, you know, not, not so positive in your life. You know, you are, in addition to feeding yourself really well, um, you're learning how to manage stress and learning how to calm 
your nervous system. And this is really important because stress also has an impact on, on brain chemistry and mood and, and even on the structure uh, of the brain. Too much stress can directly damage the brain. And so it, the, the food isn't the only piece of the puzzle, right? You need, you need love, you need, you know, joy, you need, you know, good, good relationships, you need, you know, healthy, you know, good breathing techniques can reduce your, the neurotransmitters in your, in your uh, sympathetic system, which is the, the fight or flight system, keeping everything calm. And that way your brain will be overreacting uh, and, you know, trying to fight off inflammation and oxidative stress that can come from high stress hormones. So this is, this is also really important. And so it's wonderful that you're working with a coach because these things are hard to do when we're all by ourselves alone in a room. Yeah. You know, we're social creatures and we, we, we learn from each other and we grow when we are connected to each other and when, and when we feel love and supported by other people. So that I love that you're exposing yourself to positive influences and getting coaching and taking good care of every aspect of your health, not just your, your, your diet. Uh, and I think it's really wonderful. Um, you know, you just never know what's possible. All you can do is take care of yourself one day at a time and see how things unfold. And, uh, you know, keep, I, 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 you're taking care of every aspect of your nervous system by doing all these different things. Awesome. Thanks. Dr. E, do, do you, um, do you have any patients of yours that you work with that have cancer? And do you like do you do you, is that part of their treatment to 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 try to keep their mindset as strong as possible? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, I uh, there are a couple of people that I'm working with who have cancer, but not you know uh, I would say not uh, any advanced stages of cancer. Sure. Uh, so uh, at least not right now, because my practice is constantly changing. The types of people that I'm working with are constantly changing. Um, one of the nice things about this kind of work is that people actually get better and then you, then you see new people. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that doesn't happen very much in traditional psychiatry, but no, I have definitely worked with people with cancer over many years of my career. And right now I can think of a couple of people that I'm working with who have cancer. Um, and I think that, you know, this is the thing with the whole body, not just, not just thinking about the mind, but about the whole body, every, you know, the same principles apply in treating somebody who is living with cancer who are living without cancer and think how many people may be living with cancer who don't know it, you know? So, so you have this information, but there are a lot of people, a lot of people in the world may have cancer and not know it, or may have some other kind of a serious illness and not be aware of it. Uh, and so no matter whether we have that information or not, taking good care of ourselves emotionally and physically, environmentally, the relationships and, uh, um, stress reduction and, and avoiding substances and eating well and all these other uh, pieces are always important no matter what is going on for us. So no, none of those other things should, we, we should take care of ourselves no matter what. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, the people that I'm working with who have cancer are people who are, of course, they're coming to me because they want a different way forward. So these are not your average people. You know, these are people who are are looking for a different way to live with with the, the illnesses that they have been diagnosed with, and and hoping that they're going to improve as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I I overheard you earlier when I was in and out of this 
event. Talk about your secret weapon being a carnivore when you have to get to it, the carnivore diet, which is super awesome. I love to hear that um, because I, you know, I, with the carnivore diet, I've been watching lots of videos about like how it, how it's great for uh, kids with autism, with kids with mental illnesses and stuff like that. And um, obviously great for me. Um, above and beyond the carnivore diet, you as a, as a psychiatrist, do you ever prescribe uh, any uh, pills to help the mind uh, that in terms would benefit the body in terms of trickling down to what I'm doing with? Like, is there any anything um, that I should know of that may benefit on top of the carnivore diet? Natural pills, natural pills. Like, I, I, a little bit, I am a little bit, uh, Part of my regimen is uh and, and i do live in canada so it's le it's legal over here um cannabis uh th uh, mostly cbd to get me into a deep sleep because uh my friend dr dwight he tells me uh i need to make sure i'm resting and i'm sleeping well um in terms of, of, of really trying trying to heal that mitochondria right um so mostly cbd uh i have ventured in a little bit to thc if i really need to get to sleep um, do you ever, I don't know, like you're in the States, does that, is that brought up a lot? I know Canada is a little more liberal, I guess. In that sense. Well, well, you know, a lot, a lot of these, uh, a lot of you know, cannabis products are legal in many States here. And I know that they are in Massachusetts. It's been for a number of years now. So when I worked on college campuses is when it started to become legal, um, to use, to, to use medicinal, um, to use medicinal. Carrie here for the Carnivore Diet Movie, and thank you so much for watching our YouTube videos and listening to our podcast. It's because of you and your support that we're able to do this Carnivore Diet documentary. We're making great progress, and I'm not going to stop until we reach millions of people. But we still need to raise more funds in order to film this properly to the level needed to get it on one of these big streaming services. So we're asking for your help. If you would, please visit www carnivoredietmovie.com and once you're there you can sign up for free to our email newsletter and once a week we'll be sending out updates behind the scenes uh, we'll tell you about new meetups we'll give you special invites and things like that completely free sign up there the other thing you can do at the website is purchase our little portable travel size redmond salt shaker with a keychain holder people have been loving these we offered them on our 24-hour live stream you can purchase these right on the website and every proceed every penny that we get from profit goes right towards the carnivore diet documentary and the other thing we have there are the water bottles and the cutting boards they're completely customizable and you can engrave them Every penny from those goes to support the Carnivore Diet documentary. You can also uh, link on over to the GoFundMe. That's where we'll get the most bang for your buck is there. So please visit www.carnivoredietmovie.com. Thank you. Products. I personally have never prescribed them or recommended them just because okay. the way it, that doesn't mean that they're that they can be beneficial. I want to make that really clear. The reason why I don't is that I choose to focus on food. So I, you know, I, I choose to focus on nutrition. So that's, that's simply the focus of my work. And so um, it, it doesn't mean that they can't be useful. I just don't have the experience. Gotcha. So that's what I want to let you know. 
Yeah. Okay, sounds good. I'm kind. Of, I'm currently trying to do some research because Dwight is talking to me about it, and he's going to do more research about R R S O. I'm not sure if Dr. Hampton or Dr. Shafee has heard of R S O. I think it's Rick Simpson oil is what it stands for um, mm. to treat to treat cancer. And Rick Simpson oil is extracted from THC. Um, so I'm trying to do more research on that one. Um, I always try to uh, pick the experts' brains as much as possible. Um, I know like Dr. Hampton, uh, especially your, 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 pres your presentation with me and Carrie, um, it was amazing because you had a list of, a list of things and I've, and I've picked and chosen a few things, including like a, a parasite, uh, a pill that I just actually started taking this week. Um, so Sorry, Doctor. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I just wanted to. Oh, no, not no, not at all. Okay. You can ask me anything, and I, okay, I just have good. the experience to share. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks. Real quick, Carrie. Uh, we have a bunch of super chats that we're probably going to have to get to. So, are we speed ready round? Q and A. Yep. Sure. Cut all me right. off. 